In a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend, this is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. One man is dead. Another man's life is at stake. If there's a reasonable doubt in your minds as to the guilt of the accused, a reasonable doubt, then you must bring me a verdict of not guilty. Now, if, however, there's no reasonable doubt, then you must, in good conscience, find the accused guilty. However you decide, your verdict must be unanimous. In the event that you find the accused guilty, the bench will not entertain a recommendation for mercy. The death sentence is mandatory in this case. You're faced with a grave responsibility. Thank you, gentlemen. It's all very casual. Greetings, lookers. Welcome to this edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell. And you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle at RedHenMedia1. Look for that red hen icon. Today, we'll be discussing... Twelve Angry Men, 1957, which is a crime drama feature film that's currently streaming on TV Time. And I'm joined today by my distinguished co-hosts who are likely already talking behind my back, so let's join their conversation in progress. Hey, gang. Hey. Hello. Hi. So good to see you. She's simultaneously credible and incredible, the anomaly, Kat Ramirez. Hey, y'all. Uh, just like I'm always real with my friends and family, I'll always keep it real with y'all, too. As always, grateful to be here. Welcome to Series 3 and the provocative Yay. one. Yeah. And current, need I remind you, two-time <laughs> Who Dundee Award winner and reigning champion, Mr. Devin Schwartz. The state that the game is in is on. <laughs> okay. Jesus. <laughs> there goes my brain. Uh, and my good friend, the incendiary, James Pepe. Hey, everyone. It's me, James. And uh, guess what? I made 27 grand selling, grand selling marmalade last year, which is good, <laughs> considering it's marmalade. <laughs> well, sure. Considering yeah, it's mean, marmalade, it's, you know. Considering it's marmalade. I mean, how much do you think a marmalade sells for? Like, how much does one marmalade go for? I mean, we're talking about fruit skins, a bit of sugar, molasses. Right? Yeah, like a dime. Yeah. Look at how many marmalades he sold to make. Next 27 year, uh, next year you should sell uh, ice to uh, people up in Alaska. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm gonna invest <laughs> in marmalade futures. Yeah, right. Exactly. Marmalade. Get that marmalade money. <laughs> yeah. Get the, well, first you get the marmalade, <laughs> then you get the money. That's and then right. You get the toast to put it on or whatever. That's right. Yep. Pumpernickel. Uh, and with us uh, also is the irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott. Hey, Jim. Hey. Welcome, gentle listeners and friends. And just like uh, my friends here, very excited to discuss this movie today. 
Absolutely. Hey, Jim, can I get a, um... <laughs> Hi. Hi. Need a rundown of your clients. Can you get that to me? Sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Our boss, Charles Miner, just demanded a rundown. And Jim from the office just handed the dossier to our very own gentleman, Jim Scott. So let's see what you've got for us on 12 Angry Men, 1957. All right. So 12 Angry Men, um, as was just stated, 1957. So the rating on it, uh, there is no rating back in those golden times. It just says approved. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, this was the 50s were a time that all media, uh, music, uh, movies, everything had to adhere to a very strict standard. Like there were certain things you couldn't talk about. There were certain that's things right. that you couldn't show. And so that's why even the music, I mean, you know, when they talk about, you know, lollipop, lollipop, you know, and the milkman and stuff like that, it's all like wholesome. Uh, oh, yeah. Beaver the 50s were themes. so great. Let's go back to those. Um, yeah, there was a censor <laughs> there was a censorship board basically. Um, this was the Hayes Code, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, Hayes code? I, I think that's what it was. Kicked in in the uh, late or mid to late thirties. I can't remember the year. Um, and that's why movies got a lot more bland for the next mm -hmm. twenty five years or so. Um, not that they were bad, but they were certainly adhering to this code. Um, sure. I think some critics even say like the fifties were like the worst decade for movies because of that. They're definitely it was an uptight time, and some of which yeah. we'll definitely explore in this film. Uh this was appropriate to that time or something, let me say it this way. This was a, a movie that could exist within this time and still be kick ass. Yeah. Absolutely. We put it so eloquently. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, no, definitely agree. This was one of the, the pearls, um, as they say. So um, so that was the rating. Um, as far as the rating that uh, critics and viewers gave it, it got a 9.0 out of 10 on IMDb. Which is then, crazy. Movies never yeah. get that. Even right. the, like some of the greatest films get like 7.6 out of 10. Yeah. And then um, Rotten Tomatoes, the and I always have problems pronouncing this, the tomatometer, the tomato-mometer, the whatever. Nailed it. That thing. Uh, Nailed it. 100% humidity. No, 100%. 100% <laughs> uh, tomato. <laughs> Yeah, and then the uh, audience score was 97%, so pretty close. And again, that's kind of an anomaly, that high of a rating. Mamma mia, it's a rotten tomato. <laughs> oh, As is my understanding yeah. of how that works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, 100% critical rating, yeah, who's going to dare go against one of what is considered to be one of the best films ever made to this day? Yep, absolutely. Um, so moving on to the synopsis, uh, the synopsis is just short and sweet. Uh, the defense and the props prosecution have rested and the jury is filing into the jury room to decide if a young man is guilty or innocent of murdering his father. What begins as an open and shut case of murder 
soon becomes a detective story that presents a succession of clues creating doubt and a mini drama of each of the jurors' prejudices and preconceptions about the trial, the accused, and each other. Based on the play, all of the action takes place on the stage of the jury room. So it's like um, the breakfast club uh, of juries. Yes, abso absolutely. But I, I was looking for Molly Ringwald, and I didn't see her in that jury room. So No, and you wouldn't, because in 1957, um, women didn't really sit on juries in most places yet. Oh. I don't know when it changed, but just kind of quickly Googleifying this movie that popped up. I was like, why wasn't it, you know, 12 Angry Women? Yeah. And so the article, 12 Angry, why wasn't it 12 Angry Women popped up? Well, that, that's interesting because there was a women's bathroom in the. Yeah, I, I actually was going to mention oh. that, that it, it hung like a phantom throughout the entire film. This like literally mm. the word woman plastered on the wall. The entire almost every shot of the film, you could see the word woman just sitting there. Was hanging. that their subvertive way to highlight that as a, in sort of a protest? I didn't I didn't or, even catch that. There's not a lot to look at in this film. I looked around a lot. There's a lot of you know, little things in the background. Yeah. Also, this was a TV. Wait, not a lot to uh, look at. Just every one of those performances. What the fuck well, are you talking about? No, but I mean, they're mostly, you, you hear them. I mean, exactly. you know, there's, yeah. Yeah, this could be a, easily, I'm sure it's been adapted to for the stage, or maybe it came from the stage. I don't know the history of it, but I, I did notice that, mm -hmm. and I wasn't aware of this, that there was like, I think it was a 1954 TV movie before it was made into a feature film. Oh, wow, release. I didn't know that. Well, Jim, didn't you say it was adapted from a, a stage play? Yeah, according to the synopsis. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, shows how well I listen. Okay, that and, totally and makes sense. We, yeah, when we get into the awards, we'll see that too. So um, so right. moving, moving into the um, awards, so it had, overall, it had 17 wins and 13 nominations. So a, a lot of, like, you know, um, acclaim three of those nominations were oscar nominations so those oscar nominations were uh best picture uh best director and best writing and screenplay based on material from another medium so the the medium was the play that it was based on so it was up for all the big ones yes absolutely. did it take home any or did it sweep no no, it didn't those no, the 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 awards that it won were in other awards, and I didn't list all of them when it has That's that right. many awards. But I did list one where it was the the BAFTA award uh, in 1958, and it was the best foreign um, actor uh, from another medium, which is Henry Fonda. He, he took that that award. Okay, so. I'll ring that up. Yeah, it seems like the best movies, uh, this has happened since then. At least I, the one off the top of my head would be, um, uh, oh, what's, what's, it's one of my favorite films, uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, like, you know, it went up for awards and didn't win, but ended up uh, being proven by time to be the better film, right? This seems sure. to happen. In fact, I think that's yeah. one of our, our uh, theme uh, uh, movies that should have won the Oscar is one of the themes that we might choose in the future. This would certainly be under that uh, category as well. 
well, that umbrella. The Oscars are sort of the Oscars are sort of famous for that, right? Like choosing. I mean, very rarely do they have uh, a field where there are like two actually good. Like I remember one year they had like No Country and There Will Be Blood up for Best Picture. Yeah, like, that's, that's a hard choice. That's a tough one. But oftentimes there's, you know. Something should have took it and did not. Yeah. 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 Um, so as far as actors, um, notable actors, there was a bunch. Um, I just oh, yeah. listed three, but I'm sure we could talk about the others. Um, yeah, the actually, that, oh. if I might, let's take a mm -hmm. little bit of time with this because um, sure. I did so much work on it. Um, sure. So go ahead and do your stuff, and I might have some interesting factoids to toss in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, so the three actors, and I, I definitely don't want to uh, forget the director um, at the end of this because the director is a, another luminary. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, the three, yeah. The three that I had listed were Henry Fonda, uh, Ed Bagley, and Lee J. Cobb. Uh, respectively, they were Juror 8, Juror 10, and Juror 3. Um, Henry Fonda, who was Juror 8, uh, you also probably know him from Grapes of Wrath and uh, Which was On Golden Pond. 17 years before this movie, he did Grapes of Wrath. So that was a pretty yep. good chunk of time in between the two. Yeah. Um, as far as Ed Bagley, you might also know is I think it's his son, Ed, Ed Bagley Jr. Um, yes. Uh, he was uh, juror 10. He was in Hang 'em High with Clint Eastwood. Um, a pretty notable spaghetti western. Yeah, and he uh, he left us in 1970. So I kind of looked it up, and his so his son was mm -hmm. born in like 45 or something. So pretty pretty young. Um, he was amazing in this. Just such a formidable yes. oh, adversary yeah. and a guy you love to root against. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last actor that I have is Lee J. Cobb, Juror 3. He was actually born Leo Jacoby um, uh, <laughs> and a, a Jewish family. And he's known for um, On the Waterfront and Exorcist, which I found interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. Exorcist, a, Lieutenant William Kinderman from The Exorcist. You know, I laughed, but I didn't realize that he may have had to change his name just to get work if he was yeah. Jewish and people were being like racist assholes back then. So. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that would be that would be so for sure. And then there's a fourth actor that I wanted to mention. Unfortunately, I didn't dig as much as I could, but it was the very he was a little demure um, gentleman. He sat maybe the third one. I think he was in The Odd Couple, the sitcom that showed um, yes. in the 70s. That was him. Okay, I thought that was him. He was from The Odd Couple. Do you remember what his name was? I I don't. I he should have looked it text. up. I have yeah, it. I, but I think you're John Feidler? The, John the Feidler. Name? Yeah, okay, so two. we have two Odd Couple people. Um... Yeah, so John Feidler was the voice of Piglet in Disney's Winnie the Pooh. And I believe he was also in the <laughs> Odd Couple movie. And then there was the other fella who also played uh, Quincy M.E., who I'm trying to find him on here. Oh, there he is. Jack Klugman was on the Odd Couple TV show. Oh, yeah, there he is. Yes. I didn't recognize him looking at that picture, so I couldn't place him. But yeah, that's him. 
So I noted, uh, because I don't know if you guys have seen Quincy Emmy Medical Examiner. It was a Columbo-type show. So I, I noted that if we ever need a Columbo-esque sound clip for a new segment about public health, I'll be getting the Quincy Emmy, it's botulism, Sam, quote. <laughs> season 5, oh, episode 21. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah. But yeah, Piglet, and, uh, he left us in uh, John Feidler. I, I think I'm saying that right, maybe. I don't know. He left us in 2005, and Piglet has never sounded quite the same. He was such a unique voice. Yep. You'd recognize it and, anywhere. And then <laughs> last, but, yeah, not, last but not least, not to get away from the actors, so I'm sure we want to talk about some of them more, but the, direct, the director, Sidney Lumet, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Sounds right. Um, He's been directing, I think his last directorial film was 2007, and this movie was 1957. So he's had a, a lustrous career. Some of the titles I pull up, and this is definitely not all of them, Dog Day Afternoon and Serpico. Dog Day Afternoon is a, is a great. Best, it was at least a Best Picture nominee. I don't know if it won. Yeah, I, I actually have, I pulled up his... Um, his Rotten Tomatoes profile and just looking at his movies, he has 12 Angry Men, 100%, King, a filmed record, that's a documentary about Martin Luther King, 100%, Dog Day Afternoon, 96, Long Day's Journey into Night, 94, Failsafe, 93, like almost all of his movies are above 90. It's, oh, he did Failsafe? had a really long career, but uh, yeah. He has a, a really good hit right it's, like, it's, yeah, it's great when like a master artist proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that they indeed are the shit. <laughs> yeah, and his style, he I, I think it described his style as not being I don't want to say overly compassionate. Oh god, what's the word? Um You're doing an impression of me now. He he is subjective, but he's not like he he's not like in a certain camp of thought. I I get I guess like how could I describe this better? He's good at like portraying um, the, the the characterization and textual tones, but not overplaying it, giving you a lot of different sides, not just all on one side to bring a certain like yeah. a, a, a monolithic point. There's a lot subtle. of subtlety. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he's great at working with the talent of the day. Like I've mm. seen when um, uh, he was he directed Running on Empty in 1988 with River Phoenix, and that was when River Phoenix was at his height, you know, yeah. during those times. I'll have so. to check that one out. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. He, it's funny, he, though. I don't think, I'm not sure he's a real household name nowadays, though, Sidney Lumet. No, but uh, anyone with a little film knowledge would recognize yeah. him, probably. They still refer to this as the Lumet version in, oh, in yeah. okay. popular media. But with the subtlety in this, yeah, um, uh, there was one little part I remember, and I, didn't, I don't have a clip of this part because it's a visual thing. Um, basically, uh, the one guy's at the window ranting, Juror 10, Ed Begley, and, um, and Juror 8, who is our hero, Henry Fonda, notices that he's made a mistake right he's setting himself up just there's a reaction shot it's like a medium it's almost a wide shot it's like a, a shot that shows him from the belly button up and kind of other guys around him so it's not a close-up 
but there's just a little hint of a smile that creeps on his face there. You know, like he, he knows what he's doing and it's like only some, I've seen this movie many times and I hadn't noticed that reaction until this viewing. And I was, that's, that's wonderful. I love stuff like that. I love seeing stuff like that. Yeah. Knowing what you know. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Figuring out a different understandings on later viewings or, or even like reading books upon rereading a book is always fantastic for sure. Yeah, what do they say about reading a book that, like, it, you change or whatever, so every time you come back to it, you're bringing something different yes. to it? Yep. Yeah, I That's found it. that to be true. It's been interesting rereading some of the stuff that I read early on. Mm-hmm. You definitely get a lot and more it, of the jokes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then moving on to interesting trivia, there was a couple of different trivia points. Um, so one point of trivia was at the beginning of the movie, the cameras are all positioned above eye level and mounted with wide angle lens to give it the appearance of greater distance between the jurors. But as the film progresses, the cameras slip down to eye level. And then by the end of the film, not all of it is shot below eye level uh, or uh, excuse me, nearly all of it is shot below eye level in close-up and with telephoto lenses to increase the encroaching sense of claustrophobia. Well, to quote Malcolm and Marie, it was the same lens. But no, that's, I mean, that speaks <laughs> yeah. to his uh, mastery of, of directing. Yes, This absolutely. is all the mise-en-scene stuff that you have to think about. And um, mm-hmm. it's all there. And then there was a uh, some goops. Um, it talks about trivia goops. Within the last half hour of the movie, the clock on the wall in the jury room can be seen indicating 6.15. Several minutes later, um, the actor E.G. Marshall states that it is a quarter after six. And then several minutes after that, the wall clock is seen again, but still shows 6.15. And then still later, when Lee J. Cobb leans over the table after he tears up the snapshot from his wallet, his watch can be seen indicating 510. Well, oh, that's, that's a, not Lumet's fault. No that wonder this didn't win Best Picture. <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> the art nightmare? They're fired. Yeah, can you imagine the nightmare of trying to adjust that clock? Because like you can't have it just ticking, obviously, because yeah. the filming is taking way longer. So like every single shot, you'd have to like set it a couple minutes. Oh my god, it would be a nightmare. That's true. Someone got paid yeah, to be the clock true. person. I guarantee it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they got paid too much, apparently. They're probably an intern. I mean, let's be honest. A PA, yep. you know, intern PA. Yep. Somebody's cousin or nephew or something does not <laughs> care. Uh, the, the best boy's best friend. Uh, <laughs> I'm and, Douglas um, Lumet, and I'll do as I please. Right. <laughs> 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 And then uh, the last point of of trivia is crazy. This one had crazy credits again. So um, at the end of the film, the actors are billed in the order of their juror numbers. Thus, Henry Fonda, although the star of the film, appears eight. Crazy. Okay. Crazy, crazy. That's too crazy for me. We're going to have to back off a little bit. So So many strikes against this movie. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, right. 
cool well thank you for that uh that rundown um it was uh i have some long clips uh today too the rundown went a little long but i also wanted to focus a bit on there's so many great actors in here it was worth kind of discussing yep. and we'll get to some more in the discussion but also forewarning that the clips may run a little longer than usual today because um a lot of this was a uh, monologue, right? And breaking down an argument. I didn't want to give the audience a piece of the argument, plus the acting so good that I think it'll keep your attention. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I still trimmed them down as much as I thought it would still work. So, but uh, before we get any further, we have something to figure out, folks. Yes, that's right. We've reached the segment where we guess and reveal who is responsible for this week's submission. Winner with the most correct guesses at the end of the series will win a Who Dundee Award. Um, so it was kicked around. It was bandied about that since Devin has won twice in a row that he guessed first. And so I'm on board with that I'm if you guys it. are. Sure. Yeah, I'm fine All with right. that. All I, right, uh, cool. Confident. I like not, that. It will not change my uh, my rulings. Yeah, I'll still go with the first person that popped into my head when this movie began and the fact that it began slow and quiet and then just the rest of it was very much a filmmaker's film, as I like to say. I think this is definitely a Ben flick. Mm. Well, I would be lying if I said I hadn't seen this before. But uh, uh, con uh, well, contrary to your guess, uh, I guess I will kind of bounce it back into your court here since I always pick you. You're my red herring. I'm going to pick Devin. So there. <laughs> Kat, what do um, you think? I struggled with this one for sure, and I'm sure I'm going to struggle more with this in this season <laughs> um, since it's black and white films, but I think I'm going to have to go with Ben as well. I think this is a cult classic film. Um, he did articulate already that he's seen this movie multiple times. So um, that was definitely a hint, at least that kind of suggested me to think it might be Ben. But um, I definitely was hesitating to uh, to Jim that this might have been a Jim pick as well. But I'm going to go with Ben. So that's my pick. That's my final pick. Okay. Go with your instinct. That's that was the theory we're testing this time. Yeah, um <laughs> I probably would also pick me if I couldn't uh I watched this movie like 2 weeks ago before I mean before it was picked. I just happened to watch it again. So there you have it. But uh Pepe, who was it? I'm still I'm still claiming Devin. Yeah, you know, this is going to I think this is going to be a hard season for guesses because I don't think it seemed like the the scuttlebutt was that people were having a little bit of a harder time uh not just not necessarily picking black and white movies but finding easy ways to see black and white movies such a good um, point i went through so yeah. many yeah but that being said um I, i'm gonna pick ben also um in the past he's talked about uh writing dialogue heavy movies and this is a dialogue heavy movie um but I also wouldn't be surprised if this was a Jim with this was Jim's movie. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Ben. Interesting. Ben's the Ben's the way to go. Yeah, and might I just say that to write characters that all speak in a different voice, a dis different distinct voice, and their voices themselves were distinct. 
it, it could almost be a radio play with the clips. You could tell who it was like right off the bat just because the voices. But to write their voices in that in that way is a sign of a true uh, masterful writer. And the lack thereof is a sign of a novice. And so they, they did a good job with that. Definitely dialogue heavy, but well done. And Jim, you get the final vote. All right, I love it. Um, so my mission during this black and white series is to uh, dethrone um, Evan. So okay, uh, and so and and it's going to be especially challenging, just like you guys have said, um, because it's black and white. So I yeah. bounced all over the place. I was like, is it Cat or Devin? Because I would imagine there's not as many contemporary black and white films and the few have already been showcased in previous seasons. So would this be what they would envision to be, you know, like, and then I thought you Ben, because again, that dialogue and, and, you know, we talked about the trivia with the lenses and stuff and that's just magic. Right. Absolutely. And then I, th and then, and then I thought of uh, Pepe because we had this discussion of 12 angry men in one of our campaigns, the iron thing, <laughs> when one of the spies, uh, the other players were going to try him basically and found him guilty. And Pepe's character was like playing Henry Fonda. No, no, no. And I figure out at that time that philosophy asks a lot of questions, but usually doesn't have an answer, you know, and Pepe's stance was, well, you have to be qualified to be able to judge another man's fate. And one of the players asked, well, what does that mean? What are the qualifications with which to judge? And Pepe was like, eh, I don't know. You just got to be qualified. <laughs> 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 so I was thinking maybe Pepe. But um, I'm going to go total bandwagon. I will admit, uh, I think it's you, Ben. All right. Man, well, jeez. So Hey, I love that, that it's everyone. I love that it's everyone for Ben, and then Ben for me. So it's like it's we're recreating the film right now. So Ben, convince us why <laughs> yeah, right, was my film. I was, oh, I was expecting so to get beautiful. some votes. Unfortunately, I one. yeah, I, I suck at improv and can't go off script. So, <laughs> but I, I would love to be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> watch this. Watch this. I'm going to change my vote to Pepe like because I wish I would have been there to to see that unfold. In that campaign. Oh, it was it was so much fun, but it had a couple of the players very frustrated. Oh man, and some people got secretly, so mad. That was fun to me too. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to me too. I buy that's that. what they say. That's what they say about uh about philosophers. You get into an argument with them and then sooner or later you realize they like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Very good. All right, so uh, will the perpetrator please stand up and be counted? Congratulations, Ben. <laughs> this was my film. Oh, man. God damn it, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> well, like I said, I would have chosen me too if, if I could have. But yeah, well done. Mm -hmm. yeah, my red herring thing paid off. If I just choose you every time. <laughs> yeah. Eventually. Well um man yeah i had i had the tiniest inkling that it was Devin because he was talking about having a hard time picking a movie and then when right. this came up i'm like oh this is the stereotypical black and white movie mm -hmm. like if you don't know any black and white you're like oh yes. yeah eh, 12 it, angry is. Men. it is it's yeah 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 it's a great so film I, too uh 
But yeah, uh, hang on. Let me do my uh, yeah. my thing here. All right, Devin, tell us a story. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do have history with this film. It was the, I did not just Google like best black and white movies and go with the first one. This was my <laughs> yeah. first That's what I did. choice. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, this was my first choice. I had some trouble finding it. I do, again, want to apologize for the horrible streaming service I chose. TV time is terrible. I don't know if any of you actually watched it on tv time i did i yeah. tried no oh god the audio quality was so bad and like i don't know if i guess there was commercials too i did not stay on it long enough i bought it i actually wanted to buy it on my phone and then realizing i couldn't get it from my phone to anywhere else i had to watch it on my phone for this viewing oh, it, was, it was a whole thing but i've i've seen it on a big screen and um thoroughly enjoyed it uh the first time i watched it however was in a history class actually it was yeah. i think like a social studies or maybe even a government class in me high too. school. one of those yep me yeah. too that's the first time um, i watched which it i'm glad i watched it so young because i got all the references that like every other comedy like sitcom has made because like every sitcom fucking references this movie at right. some point there was a yeah. parks and rec episode that did a, a 12 angry men thing i think there was a community episode that did it there was a family guy episode that was like almost a shot for shot remake although it was 30 minutes not an hour you know so yep. it had to be condensed but it's one of those they, they definitely went for it yeah it's so like so terrible. like just how every <laughs> sitcom has to do an it's a wonderful life episode yeah, yeah you have yeah, to yeah, do a 12 those, angry men established episode. Yeah. yeah um but yeah i don't know something about this film even when i was young and like an idiot i it's something about it struck <laughs> me as special and yep, me as uh, well. yeah i've always liked it and then i saw there was some kind of like cl you know classic film thing going on at the theater once so i got to go and see it like on a big screen that was really cool um see it on, on the silver screen but uh yeah it was uh i this film does so much with so little, you know, like the, the single room and these 12 actors and each of them is so distinct. And like, like you said, I was even going to mention that this could have been a radio drama because all of them have like very distinct voices and personalities. Love their voices. Um, it has a lot to say. It definitely has a lot to say about the death penalty. That's very clear. I think there's also like an argument to be made that it's about racism. There's an argument to yeah. be made that it's about toxic masculinity, yeah. whether or not those two were really like, the, the direct you know the writer and director were aiming for those or if they kind of inadvertently made a statement about toxic masculinity and, and race probably it's not unclear. but we don't know um, yeah for sure yeah they never mentioned the race of the uh, uh defendant but they they call you know they use a lot of coded language they talk about mm -hmm. near-do-wells and like deadbeats and like you know bad neighborhoods and they, they never explicitly say it but i i think it's fairly obvious that it's a, an african-american defendant i'm not you know i don't know if that's yeah, well they do they, they do show him it's it's supposed to be puerto rican yeah Which, uh, it's, it's a I, new yeah. york thing right this yep. place yep. in new york they, yeah, yeah i took it to, i took him to be an italian that's what i was thinking no well, it, one of the guys said he doesn't speak english good yep. which the other guy corrected yep. well okay. um so that was a kind yeah. of a hint of him being uh not a maybe native english speaker well, but he was also supposed to be European, right? Because they, there was that one guy who was the watchmaker. Yeah. Who they say, oh, all you Europeans come over here fleeing yeah. from, from pre presumably the strife going on in Europe I, at the time. I don't time. think he specified Europeans when he said that, but maybe I'm wrong. I, think he I said, don't remember oh, you that. guys. It was a very vague, yeah. like, boom. Yeah, I, Anyone, well, I think the... the any anyone from outside of the what they deem to be white uh, yeah. protestant and it could just be that they're discriminating against poor people i mean you know it could be as as simple as just you know poorer people in their city but it could you know it could obviously be coded language for 
um people of other races um but yeah i don't know i just this it's a really interesting film i like these insular films it's the same reason i like 10 cloverfield lane yeah. it's very yeah. tidy and it all fits into a nice oh, box see, there literally. was your clue guys right yeah, there watch for the insular yeah yeah watch for those with him now my next one now my next one has to be like a globe trotting like huge adventure movie so it doesn't it, it won't <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Of the caribbean or something um this yeah. is becoming uh, that yeah. argument in the princess bride where he just has to keep shifting the poison <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. no, clearly i wouldn't yeah. put it in front of me yeah so we'll have um, to yeah. uh i just uh i love this movie can't wait to talk about it, it it's interesting that you said like toxic masculine well it's just interesting to view a movie that's aged with modern sensibilities right um so the way that we see you know through our cultural lens now because i don't think in the 50s toxic masculinity wasn't a thing like it was they didn't have terminology which i think arms us better to discuss it now but were they did they notice these things back then i suspect they did um like devin said you can't prove it but this movie covered like the gamut of stuff that we still are struggling with today exactly yeah this was a cast of every archetypal Mm -hmm. like yeah uh, you know toxic male character like every type of toxic man is in this movie represented like fully um and i that can't be coincidental it's like every every yeah every version is there yeah, that that argument about uh, you know if you don't have the words or the terminology to define a certain thing in our consciousness to even think about, uh, definitely there were archetypes. I saw all kinds of like male from dominating to I found it very interesting that the two very charismatic individuals, the salesman that had sold the marmalade and yeah. the advertising exec, they didn't care two shits. Like they use their powers of charisma to like, we just want to get out of here. We want to watch yeah. a ball game. We just want to go on with our lives and not having the understanding of the nuance of you are deciding another man's fate, you know, they're and aloof, just being so casual. But, but I don't know if it's exactly like it, in that sense, toxic masculinity, like defined as we would define it now. It's probably casting some archetypes and trying to showcase them from a different reason, or maybe it's right. The I would say I don't, I don't know. Well, I would say with them, it was more of like their lack of empathy, possibly to their necessity or what they deem is necessary to kind of detach from what they're doing or or what they're doing uh, related to what their careers are, what their work is, right? The salesman has to sell anybody, right? And not care if he's selling them um old orange skins uh boiled with sugar water well yeah. i used to be a salesman that was a stretch and i and i, <laughs> and I definitely disagree with that i yeah yeah no um, I, I i admit that yeah that was a stretch uh, uh um but yeah i i think that yeah it's less that they were kind of trying to represent any kind of of uh toxic man mm-hmm. i think more it's they wanted to represent many different kinds of men mm-hmm. and because all men back then were toxic and did not understand <laughs> how to be decent human beings they just all Whoa! happened to be toxic Except male for henry Ford. oh geez yeah 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 sure henry fonda yeah yeah, yeah henry fonda yeah henry well, fonda. And, the, and the old guy and uh yeah yeah he's henry ford uh, well, right? henry ford is actually a terrible guy 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't want to hang out with them, but uh, makes a heck of a car. Yeah. Yeah. Why why do you do you did you find that every basically all of these guys were like I guess I'm saying say more about the different stripes of I don't know that much about it, so say more about the different uh stripes of toxic toxic masculinity that you see in this movie. well i mean uh like most of them throw out like just subtle like racist stuff when they're talking about the the deadbeats and then you know ne'er-do-wells or whatever the fucking word they use is um just sort of those well, they used uh, them all uh, throwing around those terms yeah uh all the ones that were okay in the rating That's system right. they would have you know <laughs> if they want to represent these characters uh truthfully they would have been using much harsher terms um but uh yeah and then like sort of the um casual reference to beating one of them casually references beating his wife he's like you know if, if my lady talked to me like that i'd knock her around or you know something mm-hmm. like that just like one of those classic 50s wife beating jokes um yeah, i wonder if, <laughs> but i wonder though with that stuff that's like uh, are the, it just seems so much ahead of his time it's like were they just it was that in there because it was like that was just the kind of joke and that you yeah, would hear someone make like every yeah, day you would hear someone joke of, about beating yeah. their wife yeah. or was it like uh, a comment on it like hey th- th- these guys are fuckers you know yeah i mean i was just talking about this with uh cat the other day we were talking about satire and like uh-huh. the issue with satire if it's too subtle it can be misconstrued as like support of the thing that they're satirizing and so it's unclear is he making that joke as a way of like hey look how terrible this guy is he's talking about beating his wife or like no, this is just a joke we're putting in our movie because it's like a funny joke for our movie. And it's like not meant to be like an indicator that the character is not good. Yeah. Or, okay, go ahead, Jim. I wanted to go to Cat next. Or is it some of the regular parlor talk that you would hear during the 50s? You know, that casual just reference to to beating your wife. I don't know if these characters are exactly a caricature. Um, obviously, it's a movie, so there's some dramatization of certain elements, right, and bringing them, you know, to be exposed. But I imagine a lot of these archetypes were people that you would see in your everyday life, like the way that they talk and their whole get down. You know, there are different aspects of people that because I, I definitely could see like people growing up that acted like some of these men did. You know? Yeah, we're we're in a oh, unique. Yeah place now and that we can look back and see this media from this era and i'd say if, um relying on that media solely because i can't go back in time or maybe like stories of what i've heard or or whatnot you know news reels etc uh my judgment is that this was probably uh like stuff you'd see or hear all the time but uh cat did you did you have something that you like to add to that it seemed like you wanted to talk earlier about it. Yeah, I mean, just in in regards to the toxic masculinity, I mean, I think the title of the movie, 12 Angry Men, is <laughs> a pretty huge <laughs> oh indication God. of what, what, what kind of movie we're going to watch. But um, I actually disagree that every single man is a representation of toxic masculinity from what I understand toxic, toxic masculinity to be. Um, not to say... I think like, yes, is, you know, back in the fifties was, it was most likely that every man had pretty sexist views like that. That was the norm. Like I'm sure that would be applicable to every single person in, in that film, in that setting. Um, Sorry. My music keeps coming on. Hold on just one sec. 
it's okay. I, I'm not hearing it, but yeah, I've just, just to add a comment to what you're saying. I, yeah, some of the ads I've seen from the time are just kind of astonishing. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, that ads for sure um, represent that. But to go back to what Devin was talking about, as far as the toxic masculinity um, being represented in every single man, the ones I saw it the most was probably like three men for sure. And one of them being the one that obviously was very angry and yelling and uh, talked about his uh, son who he said he's going to make a man out of him, like basically gone to a fist fight with him and hadn't seen him ever since. He was like the yeah. epitome of toxic masculinity, like a hundred percent, no doubt. That is like the epitome of that. And I think the other two men were like, one of them was uh, talking about, uh, he, he was being rude to one of the other jurors and called him a kid. And when the other man like, like kind of was trying to, you know, defend himself, he's like, Oh, stop being so sensitive. So that was like another moment where I was like, okay, that that's another indication. Um, and then the other guy who was like, I just want to watch my baseball game. He was like, not really empathetic mm -hmm. at all. Um, so there's definitely like signs of it, but I didn't think every single man showed signs of like hyper masculinity or toxic masculinity. Um, it was definitely part of this movie. And I was definitely like, you know, very much aware when I was watching this movie, of you know, the dynamics of how that was being represented in, in many ways um, throughout the film. Yeah. You know, and I made half of a point earlier and uh, basically I was going to add a, however, we, I don't think that every single person was supposed to represent that one thing. I don't think they really had had that defined back then either, but I know we touched on that, but um, I think they were maybe just showing like different things they've observed that might be a problem or problematic in giving a fair uh, mm. judgment, you know, against someone, things that would go mm. awry and how to argue around those things. Yeah, the overarching theme. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. All right. Um, I was just going to say, I think the the maybe this is what you're going to say too, that the overall theme of this movie is a lot about prejudice and it's a lot about like what people assume that isn't based off of, you know, people making assumptions that's not really actually based off of reality or facts. It's based off of right. emotions or, you know, experiences that they mm -hmm. had that is very skewed. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. So Pre prejudice was the, definitely the front runner issue and i think they had some others going to but go ahead Devin. yeah that's exactly what i was going to say the prejudice is the main theme that um ironically the you know all of these men are, are calling the ones who are dissenting sensitive or you know they're like you know acting out of feeling for this this defendant when in reality it's the ones who are voting guilty that are actually acting more out of their feelings and their prejudice than the ones who are mm. trying to defend him yes yeah yeah, we that's interesting. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just uh, to go back to the idea or yeah, what Devin was saying that um, usually when we think of violence or anger, we don't really view that as being emotional um, just because that is typically associated with like men being like uh, that violence or being angry is like this masculine feature of asserting your dominance. Um, so again, we don't think of them. Of, of, sen of being sensitive or emotions with that. But really, I mean, anger 
any anything that's emotion so that be be that anger or violence is is an emotion and therefore like anyone who any man who displays violence or anger is acting upon emotion is very very emotionally charged yeah Um, he's not emotional he's just excitable yeah exactly yeah um and i love that line where he was like um he said something about like so he, it seems like he was trying to excite me and the other man was like, well, he did a very good job at it. He was like, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of taken back. <laughs> that was so good. Let that me cut to a clip real quick. I got that one, actually. Got that one. It doesn't matter. He's very excitable. Sit down. Excitable? You bet I'm excitable. We're trying to put a guilty man in the chair where he belongs. <laughs> Someone stops telling us fairy tales and we're listening. Hey, uh, come on, huh? What made you change your vote? He didn't change his vote. I did. That guy was born in like 1884 or something, by the way. The older oh fellow. Isn't that crazy? Some of these actors were around seriously when like cowboys were happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, Insane. well, not to take too much of a digression, but my, my grandmother lived to be 102. Nice. And so she was alive before cars were invented. And also when we landed on the moon, which is just like such a crazy thing to me. Man, she saw it all, man. Yeah, (laughs) she saw it all, man. Crazy. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Did she have a problem with kids these days? Because I got another clip here. Hang on. Oh, she, they were constantly. I was a kid. I used to call my father, sir. That's right. Mm. Sir. You ever hear a kid call his father that anymore? Fathers don't seem to think it's important anymore. You got any kids? Three. I got one. Twenty-two years old. When he was nine years old, he ran away from a fight. I saw it. I was so embarrassed, I almost threw up. I said, I'm going to make a man out of you if I have to break you in two trying. Well, I made a man out of him. When he was 16, we had a fight. Hit me in the jaw, a big kid. I haven't seen him for two years. Kids. Work your heart out. Now let's get going. Man, I hope he wasn't getting too method with that. Because poor Ed Bigley Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Such a great performance. You know what though? He's he he is he is a sympathetic character though in some ways, right? Because you when he's like there are parts of that speech that are so sad, right? Like anytime you hear anyone in a movie say, I'm gonna make a man out of him, you're just like, oh no, this isn't gonna be good. But oh definitely. Yeah, but like he he has like you can tell that he has genuine love for his son, right? Like yeah, he yeah. he's doing his best to do what he thinks is good for his kid. It happens to be the wrongest thing you can do. Um, and I feel like a lot of, I mean, I know, I, I feel like I've heard similar things like that from my Oh, I definitely parents. have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they're just like, I do so much for you and you can't do a single thing that I ask you to do, you know? Yeah. And it's true. That's what parents do. Well, I think that 
the sympathy you feel for that character and he's constrained because he obviously has love for his son he's bothered by the fact that his son he hasn't seen his son since that fight but he's constrained by the t- i mean the toxic masculinity that yep, as a father and as a man you you have to behave in these ways um and it also points towards the motivation in a way to why he's so vehemently this guy's guilty he's obviously got a personal oh, yeah he wants to punish his son right to grind yeah, yeah a deep yeah. that had nothing to do but to defend it you know and and I, and I feel like yes prejudice is definitely the forerunner um uh, of the theme of this film and because it was in the 50s they had to use this coded language yeah. you know to try to drive that point across but i feel like a bigger theme is is a jury of your peers a right, fair yeah. way to judge a man because this film played so much with these men were not discussing the objectiveness of what was going on with the murder case they were very much discussing the subjective experiences of themselves uh, there was a quick, lot of who i am but yeah <clears throat> uh, just a quick interjection just uh mm-hmm. So, yeah, they didn't really start to discuss that in depth till the midpoint of the movie, by the way. Before that, they were dealing with getting rid of the petty prejudices and such. And then they got down to the nitty gritty and the the real facts of the matter. It was about halfway through. But I will say the, the constraint is a great word. And I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to quickly interject on the point you were making. Um, sure. Uh, so feel free to continue if you had some more to, to add to that. Yeah, I've just, um, you know, they were all looking at through, through, through their, you know, subjective lenses. Um, some of them at the beginning says, let's get out of here real quick. You know, um, they just wanted a slam bam. Um, and I thought it was interesting that this movie wasn't about a robbery or any type of crime. It was about the most serious crime, which is murder. Definitely. And the defendant wasn't just anybody. The defendant was an 18-year-old, which is the youngest to be tried as an adult, you know, without other right. things going on, right? So an 18-year-old would have the most to lose, you know? Yeah, good um, point. Suffering-wise. And I thought those, po- you know, using those extremes, the worst crime that could be committed by the youngest person uh, to be tried as an adult wasn't a mistake. I mean, it was already a, uh, um, this was something that was serious and should have been taken seriously. Yeah, yeah. And the kid um, had a baby face. If, yes. If you remember, mm-hmm. he looked like he was about 14 or 15. Right, yeah. And, and going to the, you know, the more racial tones, he was the only obvious person of color. You, you know, definitely. Um, it could be argued that some of the men, uh, you know, that you know, I know one of the men said, you know, I came over to this country, um, you know, and he talked. To, I think that was the one you were talking about, European and language. Yeah, I assume he was stuff. like German or Austrian or something. Mm-hmm. But they were all, for Swiss. the most part, they looked white. You know, yes. which also yeah. added another layer. So, 
yeah, yeah. not really his peers, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. yeah. We still struggle um, yeah, with that today. I mean, go ahead, Devin. I think that the, the responding to what Pepe said, um, the, the thing that keeps, uh, I think it's juror number three, from being a sympathetic character is the fact that, yeah, he, he has this son that's, you know, kind of in a similar scenario to this defendant. And, you know, in a sense, he didn't murder his father, obviously, but uh, he has a connection to this case. And he, it, through that connection, he is deciding this boy needs to die. This boy who I can, like, insert my son as a surrogate for needs to be punished for his crime and he needs to die for it. And it's like basically the whole thing, he's arguing that his, his own son should die, more or less. And like yeah, that, that's insane. where he fails to be a sympathetic character. He's, he's yes. very clearly the antagonist of the film because he can relate to this boy and yet still wants him to die. Yeah, thank you for saying that. When I see guys like this, and they do still exist uh, in great numbers, uh, in fact, many of them marched on Washington, I might say, on January 6th. Mm -hmm. um, I do feel bad for them in a sense because they are terribly constrained by these things that they think they have to adhere to, these weird rules that uh, are, you know, are obviously just bullshit, you know? Um, yeah. On the other, but in the other, uh, on the other hand, um, they are still plugged into the matrix and therefore dangerous, right? And, uh, and obviously what we're, what we're going through now is so, this movie is still like so on point. I mean, we're in a dangerous time right now as this is being recorded, right? Our democracy is definitely yeah. under threat uh, by these kind of man babies who just will not share power. Yeah, well, I also think, you know, now not talking about the people in power, but I, I feel like we live in a, a good place, Ben, where we get a certain diversity of thought and opinion, right? I think that in some areas of the country where it's much more homogenous of thought, it's much hard. I mean, because you have to be to a certain extent aware that there are different thinkings going on to be able to latch on You're in right. some and, and you know I've talked the, to in some those of my, areas in those areas it is up to an 11 but just uh, but during the last few years let's say just before 2016 I probably would have more strongly agreed with that sentiment since mm -hmm. then unfortunately people have cropped up that have been very disappointing to me uh, that are in this area that I thought what might have known better right oh i i see what you're saying yes yeah without getting specific um yeah just continue. because you, you yeah just because you have access to diversity of opinion doesn't mean you're going to be diverse in your own opinion or well thought okay in there your you own go opinion. you Thank could you. definitely be and and you know like one of my mentors used to say because this happens among intelligent people too um, my mentor used to say you know people some people are so smart they outsmart themselves Oh, that's and true. what she she's often referring to is this intellectualism that because I'm intellectual, therefore I have more access to the right of a situation, right? In the ways that you think and believe. So, yep. It's true. Yeah, and so, uh, so. just real quick, one more thing. These at least, I almost sympathize with the people who don't have that chance. In fact, I do sympathize with them more. That when they don't have the chance to hear that diversity of of thinking, because they never have a chance, yeah. they they just didn't have a chance. Sorry, Devin, go yeah. ahead. 
Yeah, so so maybe after all that, it's less that he's a sympathetic character, at least for me personally, it's subjective, but he's less a sympathetic character to me and he's more a tragic character because mm. because a character there like that go. who yeah has this roadblock doesn't under doesn't even maybe doesn't even realize that every time he is voting for this child's death he is voting for his own child's death and like mm. doesn't even make the connection that they are similar and that that is what he's doing and yep. it's more of a tragedy slap him down here's one more clip of of vaguely uh, because he's amazing i sat on many juries what gets me is where those lawyers talk and talk and talk, even when it's an open and shut case like this one. I mean, Jeff, you have so much talk about nothing. Well, I guess they're entitled. Yeah, they're entitled. It's a system, but if you ask me, I'd slap those tough kids down before they start their trouble. Um, God, it's hard not to get political. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, slap them down, right? He sat on many juries. I'll just keep well, to that for now. Well, this movie is the reverse of um, Malcolm and Marie, right? Because there was a line in Malcolm Marie that said, this is not a larger, more poignant term. This is just a relationship right. between two people that just happen to be African-American. I right. think this movie is meant to be a social and political commentary. And much discussion flows from this movie. You, you know, so when you say it's hard not to get political, I think that was that is definitely the intention of this film. It just I so mean, applies to today and what's going on currently, you know, go ahead. I, mean, I am very curious what the response was to, to this movie at the time, um, especially because I think that like the death penalty was a lot more. Um, uh, there was a lot more states that allowed like it like i think death, the death penalty still exists in the state of california but it's very difficult for for that to actually happen and i think we haven't had one since the 70s i could be wrong in that um in the state of california of course texas is a whole different game uh you know they have death penalty and they definitely uh use that but um just to go back to that I think back then that was a lot more of the norm that, you know, to be punished by, by death. Um, and so I am very curious how people, you know, just regular uh, audience members responded to this movie when they went and see to see it, because it was very much questioning or challenging that very notion of, you know, are we in the, are we right to convict um, someone to the death penalty uh, based off of simply two people having being a uh, be being observers and saying that they saw or heard something, and again that that question of well, could they possibly be wrong? Is is the truth, you know, isn't the truth isn't truth subjective? And really question right. and having those philosophical you know questions of um, what is the truth and how can we? It's not an exact science as as it was said in the movie as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of things. Very, there's a lot of very complex what's going on um, in this film for sure. No, it's an in interesting thing to think about. I mean, um, you know, this came out in '57. Could this film have sparked the '60s? I don't know. I'm sure it sparked some interesting <laughs> conversation. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would have. I don't think if these weren't issues at the time, this movie, like there would have been no reason to make a movie like this. Right. I mean, these mm -hmm. people aren't, this isn't pie in the sky stuff. Right. Right. And the beatnik thing was happening in Greenwich village and, and whatnot mm. at the time too. So 
So that was already a thing on the road, right? Kerouac. So there were yeah, people yeah. challenging the status quo, but it hadn't just come into in vogue quite as much as it did in the following decades. But now it's, I mean, it's, it's almost more relevant now because, well, I mean, the, it's a living threat, so maybe it was just as relevant then, but it sure feels relevant now. I know I keep saying that. I'm trying to hold my tongue. Well, yeah, don't, don't be so cryptic. I mean, you know, say what you want to say. I mean, pe people who are around now know what kind of voter suppression and um, yeah. just it feels like we're sliding backwards. And um, even though uh, I'm not going to speak in terms of being a Democrat or a Republican, but um, just because Democrats are in office and they're perceived to be more on the liberal side of the spectrum, which I think a lot of the time is ridiculous because I think a lot of the time, many of those Democrats are uh, right of center, actually. They're right. like Republican light, right? They're just without the racism as much, maybe, uh, at least overtly. Um, but I, I think that I just see things dangerously on, uh, on a precipice where we could lose very much what our, our country, basically, and our, right, our basic rights right now. And so the we, idea that I mean, you, the idea that a lot of the rhetorical things that they sift through in this movie and pick apart and kind of show you the flaws in thinking um, could very well help us now be applied now with, with uh, people should watch this and take it as a lesson. I almost want to break it down into like a, a, a modern critical thinking course or whatever, where you, mm -hmm. you know, look at their arguments and analyze them. Uh, and look at the structure and say, see, how, this is the rhetorical trick they're using to, like, make you think, that, you know, this is happening or whatnot. Sure. Um, I just think it would be really helpful for anything like this, because there's just such a lack of it uh, in in just society in general. And I'm totally generalizing here. Um, yeah. But it's, it's enough. It's a big enough problem that these basic rhetorical tricks are are bandied about very effectively way more effectively than i think they they ever have a right to be because they're so ridiculous mm -hmm. yet they work well they have more exposure so you you, you know just like uh you know yeah, phone, game, phone games for example they they have it all you know uh, video phone video games they have it down to a science if we get a hundred thousand people to play on our platform there's a certain percentage that will spend no money. There's a certain percentage that will spend up to five dollars. There's a certain percentage that would spend more. So right. the trick is just to get the max amount of people in, and then you can shake and bake those percentages and make money. I think with platforms being the way that they are, and the re you know because of the internet, you have the reach of thousands upon thousands of people. You're gonna get your percentage. And with what you I know, know about modern advertising, I mean, you can really drill down to find your audience pretty easily. Sure. It's an incredible tool and obviously has been used illicitly. Yeah. 
Uh, so just talking about like like racism, I remember like in the night in the nineties and stuff like that, I would hear people speaking, and they were like, "The goal to end racism is not just to not to end it necessarily, because it will there will always be people judging other people, but it's to get it so people can't talk about it in the light of day, like it's just common speech, like it's a thing to say. They have to; it, it's disapproved of, and so if you want to be racist, you have to be in a hidden area somewhere in the dark right yeah and that was and that was a goal that that was the goal and that didn't make racism go away or racist go away um it definitely had an impact but then in the age of the internet you know now you can find anybody that believes in the similar kind of things that you do You, you know what i mean and so this resurgence has really of 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 racist racism and discrimination has really resurged through chat rooms. Yeah. And it's uh, something social we media, have to, unfortunately. Have to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the great fights of our time. If yeah. not the great fight of our time. We'll see how it uh we'll see how it unfolds. And then of course we have to save the planet, right? Yeah. <laughs> not to digress but, too much. Right. Right. And but I feel like these things have to be put before the fire before we can try to get a semblance of figuring it out. And um I don't know, that can be seen as a tragedy that we have to go through the worst to be able to figure things out, you know? Um it seems know. to be that way in many cases. Um Yeah. But you know, it's it's um we're talking about different audiences and different times viewing the, the movie. Uh, like being a different age, reading books, like I said earlier, you read them at a different age and you bring something new to it. Every era of society, every new era, you can watch these films and some of them will be more or less relevant. And this mm-hmm. one has become more relevant in recent years, more so than it, than it yeah. has been maybe since it came out. Yeah. And I would say it was always, you know, it was always relevant. I think we would agree to that. And Absolutely. so the fact that I think they made, I don't know if it was Sidney Poitier, but the the um, the remake of this movie, mm-hmm. um, because they wanted to introduce people of color, you know, I think was the premise behind it. That makes sense. Was that the 97? Was it 97? 19. 1974 was it or oh there's 74 you know i don't know how many versions there were i'm not sure there's a bunch of them yeah yeah i'd be interested it'd be a fun exercise maybe to uh like envision what this movie would look like today if they if they remade it in 2021 like who would they who would these archetypes be now you know um you'd have to have like a like maybe the the advertiser guy would be like a instagram influencer you know (laughs) And like uh, the guy who's getting to a ball game, I don't know. He would be like, uh, he would have like a Twitch stream to get to or something. Well, he yeah, could it's just easy to translate that, right? He could just catch a ball game on his phone. He wouldn't have to go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so he couldn't have that. Well, don't they take your phones when you're sequestered? So, I don't know. Well, maybe you got to get around the cell phone, oh, though. Would, you're right, Jim. That would I mean, be, every yeah, movie that now. Would, that would be a hole. The first thing you have to do is figure out how to yep. solve the problem of being the connectivity issue. In horror movies, definitely you have to solve that problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every time. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I this seems like the type of film that they'll just 
keep remaking forever. <laughs> you know, it'll every couple of years there'll be a new a new version. As long as this shit rears its head, yeah. This movie kind of reminded me, and also because I believe it might have been black and white, maybe I'm wrong, but um, it did remind me of Death of a Salesman, which I, you know, is is a play, but they did a movie with, oh my god, uh, what's his name? Dustin, I think Dustin Hoffman was playing no. lead role. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, have you guys Toby watched? Wire was also in it, I think. Have you guys watched Hard. Death of a Salesman? It's hard for me to remember sometimes if movies were in black and white or not, if I haven't seen them in a while. And it was wow. like a good film and immersive. I mean, clearly this came out before like color movies were really too much of a thing. Um, but that one would have came out later. So I'm probably in color, but yeah. I'm not sure. Well, I, if it was if it was black and white, then it would have been intentional, not because of the time. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah, yeah with the um, I, I guess what I'm saying is the contemporary black and white movies are harder for me to remember. In fact, that that played into trying to find a black and white film from any era for me. It was like, oh, you know what would be good as that one? Wait, was that really in black uh, and white? <laughs> Let me double check. Oh, <laughs> I guess it was kind of a series, but it was with Dustin Hoffman. Um, but it, yeah, it did. It did remind me of of that just in the sense of it had a lot of commentary about a. a about America and um, a lot of political commentary as well. Um, and you also had kind of an archetype of this very masculine, you know, toxic, you know, there was a lot of toxic masculinity being displayed as well. Um, and kind of what you brought up, Ben, like this movie is a really good representation of like fallacies um, that, you know, like a critical thinking class. I think that it would be really, it would be a really good example to see this film, to see like, you know, what is the kind of arguments people make and how is how, how it's rooted in, um, yeah, and fallacies um, uh, and, and being able to kind of detect those kind of arguments and be able to understand where that comes from, too, um, I think would be a really critical yeah. thing for us as a country to have um, as a oh mandated class. Oh, my God, it'd be class. so helpful. Yeah, as a mandated class, especially just because, you know, in regards to technology and social media now, it's like, you know, I couldn't help but think when I was watching this movie about like, I was thinking of like a Facebook post and like people arguing in like the Facebook post. It kind sure. of reminded me of that. And especially because I feel like people who tend to engage um, in Facebook and in Facebook posts tend to be of the older generation. And so I was just constantly <laughs> thinking of the kind of arguments that they would make. And again, back to like yeah. fallacies and all that stuff. Um, so it would be really interesting to see this movie have like be a, be a modern adaption of, of this movie now and see how that would play out. Yeah. I wonder how it would be received. I mean, it, it definitely, we could use something. Um, 12 uh, angry bloggers. A salvo to this <laughs> lack of critical thinking. Right. Yeah. Whatever that might look like. Um, yeah. I just suspect it would be not in vogue right now to do those types of movies, but it definitely could be helpful. Um, because once you kind of learn how to spot some of those tricks, and they're used as tricks on purpose. I mean, they can be used on accident too, but these days they're, I, I sense that they're used on purpose as tricks. Um, Mitch McConnell, 
and others. Um, I think Trump's just an idiot and and just probably just makes mistakes because he doesn't know what he's doing. But a lot of these guys that are like the pro guys that have been here for decades, they do it on purpose. But once you once you learn how to spot them, it's one of those things that you can't unsee them, you know? Right. And then you see them for what they are, and it takes the power away from those guys to mislead you. Yeah, it, it takes the power of those guys to mislead you, but it doesn't take the power away of those guys to mislead people in general. No, yeah, um, I mean, that's why it would be great yeah. to, like, teach more of the... I don't think that at least set, set up in my lifetime, okay, like, I wasn't born in the Nixon era, but I think it started then when they started defunding public schools in one way or another. I think that they purposefully stopped teaching critical thinking because they didn't want what happened in the 60s to keep happening. Sure. Like that was their first thing, like stop teaching these guys to think so well. Well, it's not um, just critical critical thinking. It's it's every it's humanities. It's uh, sure. philosophy. It's you you know yeah yeah yeah. Um, the other modes of ex- I mean, there there's a reason in stuff uh, that you only to- get nowadays in higher education in college. Mm-hmm. I didn't well, there, take critical re- thinking until junior lucky. college. Sure. Yeah. If, right. If, if you're, you're lucky, if right? You choose exactly. To. Yeah. If exactly. You choose to. Um, and it's not a mistake that in like the totalitarian governments or more like autocratic governments where they start they get rid of the poets and the writers and the artists you know they get rid of the free thinkers they they right you know they get rid of them um and uh i think you're right i think also well like so books because i know kat you talk a, a lot about reading one thing about reading is it allows you to slow down to the speed of wisdom, right? Because you die, Ooh, you're, you're nice. literally digesting what you're reading and you have the choice to look away from the book and think about what you're reading at a greater depth, which in, in, in respect to the medium of books and the written word adds a lot to our ability to be able to think critically to look through other viewpoints just to be able to and living in a more image driven culture you know and reading less i i would definitely make the general point that we as a as a as a a group you know we read less i don't think that's a good thing I think it makes it so much easier yeah. to fall for these tricks. And I think it's so much easier to, even if there weren't tricks used, let's just say there were no tricks used. It's so easy to just grab the, almost like this, this movie, you, you know, where they just want to, you know, he's clearly guilty. We're all going to vote guilty and we're just going to leave. And that's that. Right. We're not even going to think about that. Whatever your realm of thinking is and opinion, there's a group, right? There's a similar group that shares that opinion. And I feel like in an image-driven society, it's so much easier just to grab onto the surface level. And that becomes the entirety of your whole political sociological thought. That's a danger as well. To not look at things from a more nuanced, more comprehensive place, because we're, you know, it, that's a dangerous place to be. 
So it is. Yet here we are, uh, and we'll have to learn to navigate it, or things will begin toppling and failing. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully gonna, we do figure that out. I was going to really add um, one of the things I appreciate about this film, and I think about generally in older films, um, that you could have films that premiered in multiple movie theaters like this, that was a mainstream movie that had really like these really huge dialogue and conversations that were current. Whereas now, um, and we kind of like referenced this earlier, but if this movie was to come out now, it would be very much like an indie film. It would not be a movie that was seen, you know, everywhere by a lot of people. Mm. And I think the fact that even like a lot of the mainstream movies that we have now, even, you know, as good as these, you know, Marvel movies are and everything, um, you know, me <laughs> and Devin saw, you know, uh, Black Widow. Yeah, how was the Black Widow? No spoilers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but even, even, you know, as entertaining and great and good um, solid movies as, as they are, we're not like, films and i think any art should be provocative like i mean i that's at least that's how i feel i feel to some extent art should should be should be trying to provoke some sort of emotions provoke some sort of thought make you kind of see things differently you know um and uh, again just a lot of mainstream films now don't really don't, they don't want to engage in those kind of conversations they don't want and, and again it goes back to the fact that it probably you know it wouldn't get approved it wouldn't you know those kind no, of conversations in a mainstream right movie would no yeah it would not be okay for that so any of those real conversations that are happening and although obviously you know malcolm Mar um, and mary was not a perfect film at all i i did appreciate because of the fact that it was having a genuine conversation in in multiple yeah, ways um and i just wish that we had more mainstream movies that would have those conversations that would would you know go to that step and 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 say something say something genuine that is going on with our with our country because i really think that would help us you know engage in those conversations in a very in a more unified yeah. way unfortunately the contemporary audience would soundly reject anything like this right now is kind of what i was feeling earlier and you kind of capped it nicely there with what you said and um they're just looking right now it's kind of like a trend towards escapism um mm -hmm. and that's hard to fit something like this into an escapist tendency right i yeah even though it I is totally, urgently needed yeah i totally agree with you cat um movies yeah. most mainstream movies nowadays feel like a roller coaster ride and roller coaster rides are really exciting Right. But are you going to remember that ride a week from now, a month from now? I mean, I've seen my share of Marvel movies. I mean, they're great. But yeah. if you ask me, what were the, some of the poignant details? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, it's ironic, too, that those, you know, political, uh, very politically charged films are considered such a contemporary idea. They're considered so modern. Like, oh, back in my day, movies didn't have to make a political statement. And it's like, no, that's when they were making political statements is right. back then. Like that's not, it's not mm -hmm. new. And yeah, it's like, it's completely yeah. the opposite. And yet you still hear that rhetoric all the time that like, you know, back, back yeah. in my day, nothing was political. Right. Uh, and mm -hmm. even when they had to and, hide and it, they did it. 
making making that remark of that's not political what they really mean is they're talking about things that make me uncomfortable and i don't like and that's the type of right. politics i don't like because political literally is drawn from the word polis of the people so if driving on the highway is political because mm-hmm. politics decided that that road should exist everything is political which actually makes this movie Green. very helpful because it's if it's something out of a different era about not exactly what's going on today but it has the tools therein to help with these issues if someone watches this i think it's probably um even more effective than something if it just came out today i think if someone rewatched this but mm. again it's hard to get this in the right hands but let me get a critical a critic quote in here um that's relevant uh the guy says uh, in the 60 years since its release sydney lumet's masterpiece has lost none of its impact in this age of unreason 12 angry men remains sorely and urgently contemporary Sorely was a very, very well stated. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, alternative title, 12 Sweaty Men. Pepe, I think you, at oh, least so I heard you say that. Uh, I have a clip, though. Uh, I've seen that movie. Yeah, 12 Sweaty Men. <laughs> <laughs> right? Here's a, here's a clip. How am I supposed to follow that up? All right, here we go. Boy, oh, boy, it's really hot, huh? Pardon me, but don't you ever sweat? No, I don't. So was it 11 sweaty men then? No. <laughs> yeah, what was that guy's deal? Was he a, was he a vampire or some shit? No, <laughs> he, was, he was the very logical one, and he's he, he was one of the last holdouts, right, to change his vote. Yeah. Um, and I think what got him was he actually did sweat. Uh, he, they finally got him by asking him that, question about the second movie that he watched and he couldn't do it and then a bead of sweat appeared yeah it was a good setup but for Mm -hmm. a second there i was like wait one isn't sweaty (laughs) and uh, i didn't i I didn't notice that detail before and i probably should have because they had the camera in close-up right on it i also really enjoyed that they that they had someone like him who was so like logical and seemed like almost like a robot in that sense of being so logical um like have you know, was one of the last people to change their minds on, mm-hmm. you know, their vote. Um, just because it kind of, at least for me, it felt like even the, some of the most logical people can oversee some, some such simple, yeah. like, not facts, but can, can, can oversee some simple, like flaws in their thinking, right? Flaws in their thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a some great bias, way. Yeah. What have you. Exactly. Or just uh, assume that anyone, you know, he injected some uh, contempt, uh, not contemporary wisdom, some what he would assume would be uh, just uh, everyday wisdom that, you know, an hour after you watch something, you'd probably be able to recall all these details about it under yeah. cross-examination. And then it's just a different story to uh, what plays out when it's, the reality is thrust upon you. I think a lot of people who spend a lot of time thinking get too much into their heads and can overlook the reality of a situation being quite different than when you're calmly and coolly thinking something through right 
Yeah, so you got to get out there and test it out. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm guilty of that too. I really, I actually empathize with this guy most of all. I definitely wouldn't have been Henry Fonda. I would have been this guy. But he eventually also, came around. So good for him. I was thinking about the fact that, you know, this, the, the main actor, he only was able to change everyone's mind, just basically pushing the, the, the reasonable doubt, you know, basic, you know, that, that he was not trying to say that he was guilty or not guilty. He was just, just trying to say, if you have a reasonable doubt, therefore you cannot convict this person. If there's any doubt in your mind that maybe he might be innocent. Um, and, and I was yeah. just thinking about how, you know, they listened to the trial, they were given all the facts. It's not like they were given any more facts or they were given different facts. They simply went over what they were told and kind of questioned the credibility of those facts. And that seemed to be what changed everyone's, you know, minds. And I was just, as far as like, personally, I'm like, yeah, I would, I would probably had I come into that room, I probably would have been like, Oh, yeah, you I just heard all the facts from the lawyers who I view as credible. I'm gonna assume that they know what they're doing. And I probably would have been someone who would have said guilty during that time. And so it was interesting to at least have that in my mind of being like, in a very logical sense, I would have probably been one of those people who would have said guilty. But of course, going through that conversation right. and yeah you know like oh yeah no we don't have all the information to really make a, a judgment well because like at first glance it added up right and you had to go through it and the details and and do that experimentation and and look at and uncover these flaws right to to find the truth there and uh, let yeah. me uh let me run one more uh quick clip here that's kind of similar to what we're talking about here I just think he's guilty. I thought it was obvious from the word go. I mean, nobody proved otherwise. Nobody has to prove otherwise. The burden of proof's on the prosecution. The defendant doesn't even have to open his mouth. That's in the Constitution. He made it all the way to the jury room without realizing that. But uh, he was also one of the early uh, people to uh, switch his vote. I thought it was interesting. It was, uh, the first vote was 11-1, second vote 10-2. Uh, third vote nine three and then eight four and then there was a switch uh, when they got the fan working okay and here's what i wrote the winds of justice changed <laughs> okay the next vote was three to nine in favor of acquittal for the first time so yeah i when they got down to those details it started like being like yeah there's some serious errors here in in the story i think that the that was a good line, the winds of justice. Um, but I, I think the winds of justice changed when, because Henry Fonda was included in the jury, like that particular juror. Because we're, we're talking yeah. about, about. He didn't facts. fix the fan, did he? Who fixed the fan? Now I want to no, know. No, no, it okay. was the uh, marmalade guy. Oh, good marmalade job, marmalade. Guy, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's right. He'll be forever referred to as that, not juror number, whatever he was. But um, alongside the facts, which we've already, you, you already talked, Kat, about the very scientific or more logic-laden guy, it's not just the facts, it's how you arrange the facts, which ones you tend to, you know, accentuate and which ones you 
you know, that can inform your whole opinion. But I think the groundwork in the very beginning was laid out that this was a subjective ruling. Just the, some of the things they said in the very beginning, let's get out of here real quick. They started talking about, you know, how the case was exciting and not boring. It could yeah. have been in on a robbery Man, or something, yeah. like, which suggested that it was more like a show. And and so that, you know, and those were kind of the more more alpha, I guess, jurors. And so they were setting the tone of let's just vote guilty. Let's just get the hell out of here. Yep. And um, there was I seen a couple of like and, and, I, and I was going to research this more and kind of look it up in my textbook. I, but I seen a couple of like social psychology so, for instance, you know, experiments they've done, like, like, like if you're in a room and a bunch of other people that you think are, you know, students like you all say an answer, but it's clearly the wrong answer, but they say it with such conviction. What mm -hmm. are your chances that you're going to say the wrong answer, too, because you don't want to be that bump in the road, right? Yeah, no, that's off the charts. They've <laughs> done tons of studies, which I'm sure you're very aware of, Jim. Yeah, where they... yeah. It's so easy to make people just totally second guess themselves and sure their answer. Yeah, stuff that's uh, that's objectively like line. Absolutely, like, is yeah. this line longer than this line? Right, there's no equivocating about that, and people still. Um, yeah, but Henry Fonda was um, I forget what they call this, but it's like the minority or something, but not like it doesn't have racial tones. He was the naysayer, and no, in having, the opinion. Right, the minority yeah. opinion or whatever. Yeah, and having in a group with a group dynamic, even having one person that is brave and courageous enough or whatever you want to call it quality-wise mm -hmm. to be able to say the dissenting thing can really bring a, a, a whole different um, tenor to the way the conversation rolls. Yep. And some of the people, the first people that were kind of flipping yeah, were, I think, the ones that, you know, if you just looked at these facts objectively, two witnesses, a knife, uh, the knife was found, they had had a fight, like it was pretty, you know, it seemed like it could be, you know, yeah. an open and closed case. But just having somebody be the dissenting opinion allow the room for those other the first ones to kind of come over and those that weren't those, sure yeah go ahead no just to add to that those first guys and continue if you want the the first guys yeah. that flipped didn't do it because they were convinced he was innocent they flipped sure. because they saw merit in what juror yes. number eight was doing we need to yeah, explore it, this it deserves our attention and to give it its due diligence that's what they yes. were saying they weren't saying oh i'm totally convinced Yes, and that's the logic point, but I think right. subjectively what was going on at the same time, if we view this as a group experiment, is okay. they had they had the room to do that because they had that person to say, no, yep. there's another way to think about this. Whereas if Henry Fonda had not been in there, if the 12th jurors should have said, guilty, we're done, it wouldn't have looked twice. Uh, in my life, I've been brave enough to be that person to speak up and i've also um been cowardly enough not to and the times that i ended up speaking up as terrifying or difficult 
and uh, the stakes may have been high. You know, what do you lose from speaking up? Those things, um, weighing that, I never regretted doing the right thing and, and actually speaking up after the fact. Yes. So it is super important. And then it's also important yep. to see, to be those other early on jurors to at least give someone the room to speak a dissenting opinion without, you know, rushing off. But um, yeah, that's just uh, like that reviewer said, it's sorely lacking. Um, let me play the turn in, in the movie or one of the turns just because it's a cool moment. Take a look at this knife. It's a very unusual knife. I've never seen one like it. Neither had the storekeeper who sold it to the boy. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where did that come from? It's the same knife. So uh, the message here is to check your sources and not just assume that these things being presented as fact are indeed fact. Um, make sure you do your due diligence on that stuff. I've caught myself out many times and some embarrassing times I didn't and someone else caught me out and it was my time to stand up and be like, yeah, you're right. You got me. Yeah. I was mistaken. Um, another thing is, is like the ego surrounding um, admitting a mistake is, is a tough one for for people myself included um it's super important though to readily admit when you're obviously mistaken about something so i think people think that once they and i i've heard this is true from studies whatnot um that if you've publicly espoused an opinion you are way more likely to like die on that hill right yeah no matter what well, no matter how wrong you might be well, especially when that opinion has um, a deep tie or a tie to your identity, and it becomes oh my really God. hard to yeah, shake it's... and say, hey, I was we wrong. We haven't cracked that yet. This is one of those things we could really use uh, like an actual method. And I've, in my personal experience, the Socratic method by just putting it back on the person and asking them and, you know, not yeah. stating mm -hmm. it seems to be uh, pretty effective. or. Actually, it's not, but it's more effective than anything else I've tried, and I've tried quite a bit. <laughs> so, uh, well, it but man, the, we could use a, it, some kind of uh, silver arrow for this undead thing, you know, to make yeah, a terrible no, the analogy. So <laughs> the, so the Socratic method really exposes what somebody really believes. You know, when you start asking them questions, well, why? Well, why? You know? Yeah. And uh, what we were talking about earlier, as far as only getting the surface level understanding of an issue, you will find that out real quick. Yeah. And it doesn't feel, I think from their side of someone who's being asked, it doesn't feel so much like an attack. Because mm -hmm. they get to speak and talk about it and sit, put it in their words, rather than it coming yeah. from an external thing. It's going to feel like yeah. something got lobbed at you that way. Speaking but, uh, of ego. Oh. No, no, no. Go ahead. I can just blather on forever. Um, speaking of ego, I was curious what you guys thought of the scene in which he, the the very loud mouth guy, 
um, mm-hmm. really goes off at the end and all of them start turning their backs. Like they stand up, yeah, they start turning their backs slowly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that um, next. Yeah, I was curious what you thought of that. I think that moment for sure felt very theatric for me and not in a bad way, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just it felt like it just it kind of took me out of the film in the sense of like this felt more like something i would see in a play versus absolutely it would be one of those really strong moments where you hear one guy cough in the audience you know and everyone else is just feeling it deep let me uh this is the longest clip i have so bear with it but i think uh it's a very important clip that again i keep saying this it just applies terribly applies to what we're kind of going through in in our society currently so uh bear with it um or enjoy it really because uh it's a it's an important clip and it's a good bit of acting too i don't understand you people i mean all these picky little points you keep bringing up they don't mean nothing you saw this kid just like i did you're not going to tell me you believe that phony story about losing the knife and that business about being at the movies Look, you know how these people lie? It's born in them. I mean, what the heck? I don't have to tell you. They don't know what the truth is. And let me tell you, they don't need any real big reason to kill someone either. No, sir. They get drunk. Oh, they're real big drinkers, all of them. You know that. And bang, someone's lying in the gutter. Well, nobody's blaming them for it. That's the way they are, by nature. You know what I mean? Violent. Where are you going? Human life don't mean as much to them as it does to us. Look, they're rushing it up and fighting all the time. And if somebody gets killed, so somebody gets killed, they don't care. Oh, sure, there's some good things about them, too. Look, I'm the first one to say that. I've known a couple who are okay, but that's the exception. You know what I mean? Most of them, it's like they have no feelings. They can do anything. What's going on here? Well, I'm, I'm trying to tell you. You're making a big mistake, you people. This kid is a liar. I know it. I know all about them. Listen to me. They're no good. There's not a one of them who is any good. I mean, what, what's happening in here? I'm speaking my piece and you... Listen to me. Uh, we're, we're... This kid on trial here, he's, he's tied. Well, well, don't you know about them? There's a... There's a danger here. These people are dangerous. They're... Why? Listen to me. Listen. I have. Now sit down and don't open your mouth again. When you say the quiet part out loud, it is readily uh, distinguishable as being as ugly as it truly is. Um, And I have heard most of that from older family members in my family white guy talking here uh behind closed doors and um in fact uh many of them won't talk to me anymore because i was one of those guys on facebook that would argue things uh and so were they on there so um yeah um so that was very true what he what a lot of people actually think unfortunately racists and racism inherent to the system has gotten better at obfuscating those Mm. views and so it's harder to root out in that sense and so that yet another issue that we have to try to figure out uh in our time 
Yeah, exactly. And that quote reminded me a lot of another quote. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can see the similarities. They're not sending their best. They're sending people that have lots of problems and they're mm-hmm. bringing those problems to us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Like it, it's they... practically verbatim. It's yeah, it's the, the, the us versus them. It's like that exact mentality. That's can't just believe been down how generation generation. No, you're right. And Trump is actually more overt than most people have been in, in many years. Um, in the Reagan era, they coined the phrase uh, welfare queen and stuff like that. Uh, apex predator was the uh, neolib thing that our president uh, Biden uh, was one of those guys that I think used that terminology and passed laws about that. Um, so it's not so far off, but now it's becoming more overt. Um, maybe that's a tool we can use against them because it does sound ugly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it. it but do well, they it have is, no shame anymore? I mean, what is the it, difference? Why is it working now? a part in the racist playbook to object i mean the first thing you have to do is objectify the other then yeah. you can evidence the horrible crimes against them because they're just objects they're not really people I also yeah, thought, yeah absolutely dehumanize is the first step right mm-hmm. okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, okay real quick i just thought that that scene was a really good symbolic representation of Trump being banned from Twitter like that. That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say. I just thought that was a good representation of that. The yeah, he finally got so dangerous that it took more than what this guy said. Even it's crazy how far that was allowed to go before people started speaking up. So it just highlights the, the need for more. Uh, uh, Henry Fonda's I was going to say Henry yeah. Ford again. <laughs> um, that's super important. So, yeah. Um, be brave as long as you're not gonna probably, you know, as long as it's safe. Uh, and maybe then take into account what, what you would risk or could risk and get away with because it's important and necessary, right? I think that, I mean, I think that, well, I think something similar that was happening at the time is happening again. Is that uh, what it is? That we have... Well, maybe. I mean, I'll I'll throw I'll I'll uh, I'll run this up the flagpole and see who salutes it. Yeah, toss on the porch and see if the cat eats it or whatever he said. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think at the time, uh, in the post World War II era, mm-hmm. there was a lot of immigration happening and people mm-hmm. uh, that didn't that looked and acted different were like around white people you know and so i think that people were scared that their that like their country was becoming not theirs anymore yeah because of these people who were different from them are here now and they are doing things and they're taking our jobs and shit like that you know um and i think a similar thing is happening I mean the immig- I mean the issue of immigration is a constant seems to be a constant. It comes in it side. comes in kind of waves and you look back over American history and every time there was mass immigration there was a racist pushback. Um yeah. when you're privileged think, uh, when you're pri- real quick, when you're privileged, equality does feel like oppression when that privilege is challenged. And that's what these the, the people even today again are dealing with, right? 
you see, you got to understand that white people are very fragile and <laughs> you have to be careful. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, the, it's stupid that people in this country are like xenophobic. That's the dumbest thing ever, yeah. right? It, it's always has been too. It's like that right. meme it's with never, the astronaut, always has been. Right. Unless you're like a native person, you're not from here, man. Right. Exactly. You know? Like you came over on a boat too, you know? So history started um, with the founding fathers, right? Uh, who yeah, founded this right. as a Christian country? And they even get that wrong. I mean, but they don't. You know, it doesn't matter as long as it feels good and, and agrees with their preconceived notions. Yeah. But but I think I think something similar, and in some ways more difficult, is happening as the like as the like concept uh, that we have of civil rights like continues to expand to to encompass more and more people, right? And it's beginning to encompass people that are different in a different way than immigrants are different. They're different in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of different ways that you can't look at them and see it. You can't, you know, draw their blood and test them for this difference. They're different. Their people are, we're finding these people, I want to, I'm I feel like I'm saying this in like a very terrible way that I don't mean to be saying it. Uh, there are people who are unlike us in ways that we've never really grappled with before. And that is, that is essentially different from simply being from another country. Right. And okay. I think, I, I think people are having those similar feelings that like these different people are changing our country again they're they're forcing us they're forcing us to do something that we don't want to do which is think about them in the same way that we think about ourselves and, and people don't like that and, and a lot of these people have always existed um but they yeah, just no, never correct. they never had to they never had a a voice right yeah they're never able to come out proudly and say hey this is who i am um, yeah. and I'm a person and I deserve the same rights as any human, as any person deserves. Yeah. And that hasn't been a thing that they've had to deal with. It's always been, uh, yeah, it's a democracy, right? Until my power is threatened and then fuck that. Right. How readily yeah. did they go to that? It was just so fast. It was scary. Like the illusion yeah. of democracy just instantly just evaporated when when it push came to shove well i think that i think that um well i think first i think first of all i want to say that when when you when when i use the word they it, whoever i am referring to it is basically the same as like these people this guy using the word they mm -hmm. it's incredibly hard not to talk that way but it's so important to try and not talk that way. Because well, you're generalizing people, for a people are reason. not a monolith. Yeah, because there's so many they's and they're very all very different that yeah. you almost have to generalize to encompass every everyone because there's a majority of minorities in a way. You know, right? Yeah, we're yeah. all so unique <laughs> nowadays. We don't have the shared pop culture thing that even I grew up with. Like, there's yeah. more than three channels on the TV. 
right? Yeah. Like people don't right. all, they haven't all seen the same things. They're not all watching Walter Cronkite to get their opinion anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That but makes I, a but difference. I mean, even, even like what you were saying at the beginning, like we tend to think about Democrats and Republicans as being these like monolithic things and they're mm-hmm. not no democrats and republicans are made up of all sorts of folks and they think all sorts of different things mm-hmm. yeah um so i mean like I, I feel like if if this movie is trying to teach us one thing it's that like we have to resist the urge to like they people we can't do that you know we ha- we always have to think about people as people oh yeah um, absolutely and that, but that is like the most dangerous thing you can do because you because that means you have to treat them how you want to be treated because you know you're a person and you know what your internal life is like and how you want to be treated but you don't know any of that shit about anyone else and so to like achieve that level of sympathy and empathy with everybody else especially with people who you don't like, who are different than you, who have different opinions with you, who look different from you, have totally different life experiences than you, is super hard and super scary and just hard to do, you know? Yeah. Um, No, I think a lot more people are solipsistic in their approach to the world than I would have bargained for. And that also scares me, you know? Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, don't know if that speaks I, to narcissism specifically or just in a functional way that people just deal with the world as if they're the only person. I mean, I've, I see this in day to day interactions. You go to the grocery store and someone with a mm-hmm. cart will just stand there and take up the whole aisle and you can patiently wait there yes. or interrupt them or whatever. And they'll begrudgingly get out of your way, but it's their world, man. You know, there's too much of that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just mean that like interacting with the world, like truly interacting with the world in almost any way is scary. And so it's, it makes sense that like people find groups, like even like, you know, like, um, like even guys, like even people who are like the nonconformists always are like nonconformists with a little group of nonconformists. Like, <laughs> Right. Re- like yep. you really rarely ever find a single person who is an outlier. Like, oh yeah, you I, have these people throughout history, but I hung out with almost never. punk rockers in the nineties, uh, so I, right. I totally yeah. get that, dude. Everyone was a poser, yeah. and so I think <laughs> that, like, I think one of the reasons why this movie is uh, seems timeless is that it is getting to that like core of something about the way we interact with other people. And the like constant desire to like tribalize and of uh, and like them people, yeah. Um, and it, you ha- that is you a base urge. To, like, yeah, it's I mean, not it going away. Is. We evolve that way, and there's evolutionarily speaking, there's a good reason for that. You know, mm-hmm. because at one point they would kill you. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, so it was a thing, man. You know, but it's just societies evolved faster than our biology and our and our hardware that we have to bring to the table. And so what we have to learn is get these tools to overcome those natural kind of lower functioning uh, instincts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I don't. Sorry, Jim, let me just finish my thought real Mm -hmm. quick. Um, But I think that 
I don't think we're, I think we oftentimes see these like things as like the, the, there's, there's the clearly right choice, but I think we sometimes think of the clearly right choice as being the easy choice. But I think what really we're presented with two scary choices, right? Mm-hmm. People who are in, people who are, people who group up and become these little groups do that because they see themselves as apart from other people and are like scared of those other people or see themselves Mm -hmm. as different um, from other people. Right. But the other, but the other option is to be not that right is to be like vulnerable to other people. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's like scary too. Right. Because you have to be that out. You have to be that outlier. Um, And so, and so like interacting with the world in any real way is always risky and always scary and always takes courage. And like you said, Ben, when you're the, when you're the one guy, when you're the dissenting voice, it always is scary and it's always yeah. hard to do. Yeah. I've been watching the show 60 days in about regular people who get put into a real County lockup for 60 days. Mm, that's um, a good show. I don't, yeah, it is it's like watching a car accident. You can't look away. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But like game theory and being in, in prison, you're right, Pepe. Um, if you join a group, which in prison probably means like some kind of a gang, right? Right, yeah. That's That would terrify me just as much as going alone in that situation. And so expanding that into the greater the world and society and stuff, that still definitely applies. But in that microcosm in the prison, you really see that. It's highlighted in a way that's more extreme right and so you like really see that dynamic like the guys who stay by themselves get targeted and then the ones who conform have to do terrible things that they might not otherwise want to do right yeah so well well yeah i mean there's there's like a reason why athens killed socrates right (laughs) like they don't like him (laughs) asking questions yep yep and then and then well, also uh, Plato yeah. had to have a good ending for his character that he made up. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, except <laughs> he really did kill Socrates. Right. Um, yeah, and then and then they were gonna kill Aristotle too. And then he said uh he went into exile. Uh and he said something like, Yeah, lest Athens sin against philosophy a second time or something like What's that. What's that quote? If you uh I'm gonna botch this. Let me just try not to though. If you if you make people think they're thinking, they'll love you. But if you make them actually think, they'll hate you. I'm not familiar with that, but that sounds about right. Yeah. That's if you make, nice. in other words, if if yeah, if they think that they're thinking, like they, for example, I okay, I'll just come back to a very contemporary example, like when Trump talks and says, "Oh, you're very smart. You guys are the ones who are thinking." You know, and clearly they're not because he's using either a rhetorical trick or he's just bungling his way through things. And they're like, yeah, it feels great. You know, Um, they think that they're thinking, right? They're convinced that they're the ones thinking, even though they're not. It comes back to the Dunning-Kruger effect where someone, the dumbest guy in the room thinks that he's the smartest, right? Um, Right, So, yeah. So, but if you challenge people with some, some real shit, they're a lot of the time they're going to get angry at you. And uh, so, I mean, it's not surprising that there's not a lot of people willing to stand up or, or, or speak out, you know? And then the people in power who are used to, uh, and the people with voices 
um, they're used to the status quo and they like how that works. So they just want to roll it back to that. They don't want change either. So you don't really hear those voices that are, that are speaking out for uh, solutions that will actually help. Those people are very much hated by a, a majority, unfortunately. And it makes it hard to be one yeah. of those people because you're punished for well, it. I, this is, I, this, I think this, this is what, what, what you said made me think about something that sort of a, a revelation that I had that attracted me to philosophy a lot, which was that um, early on, at least in my sort of philosophical education, you soon come to learn that like philosophy isn't about who has the best opinion and like figuring out, or I guess I should say, it's not about winning an argument, right? It's about finding the truth of the matter. And so like, like when you're doing philosophy, you're in a group of people who are really dedicated to like finding this like third thing that seems to be outside of all of you. And you're all going there and you're doing it through a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a thing that's so often lost today mm -hmm. is that like that need to be right. Like once yep. you yes. give that God. up, once you just like escape that, you're you're like so far down the road. Yeah, no, your goal should be epistemologically you're trying to seek a truth or something closer to the truth. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that should be your goal to learn, not to be right. But um, yeah, because because today's understanding cause, is no, we're going to die on this hill. Be I'm right at any cost. Right. Yeah. And that yeah, cause the other the, the other thing that you learn after reading all of the, the greats in philosophy is like mm -hmm. you, you strive to be interestingly wrong because you'll never be right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of times these guys that you read, they're not right either, you know. No, and um, we can get into the discussion of uh, epistemology and objective truth, which I don't believe in. But um, yeah, you do try to get closer to what the objective truth might be in theory, right? Yeah. It's out there. Yeah. Like uh, Mulder. Um, we should probably right. well, wrap bit. up soon because we're going, we're pushing two hours in, but it's a great conversation that could go on all night. Uh, Maybe one of these nights we'll have a, a camp out. Yeah, let's uh, go on all night with those 12 sweaty men. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, we're getting into a territory that's becoming a, a different, a very different show. Um, real quick, I'll, I'll share a couple more of the actors because there was 12 of them. I'll be real quick. Um, uh, Juror 1 was Detective Milton Arbogaston Psycho. Uh, mm. It was around the same era, 1960s. So it was a few years later. Uh, E.G. Marshall, Juror 4, played the president in Superman 2, and you might remember him as Art in the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, juror 6, Edward Binns. Um, he was in The Verdict uh, in 1982, which is another great courtroom drama movie, if any of you have seen that. Um, uh, let's see, Jack Warden, Juror 7. I knew him as Grandpa from the Problem Child movies. Uh, has anyone seen the Problem Child movies? Anyone know what I'm talking about there? He appeared in no. all three. Um, he was also notably in Chairman of the Board, uh, the Carrot Top movie. Um, so uh, another the two ginger movies that he was in contemporarily, uh, which was probably the studio's re response to like Pauly Shore. Uh, at the time, Pauly Shore was big. So it was way too late, buddy. Um, 
poor carrot top <laughs> um what was going on with that guy like 10 years ago uh he was scary it looked like he was on steroids and fake tanning so i'm Dude, pulling for him ripped to... he was i don't know i haven't seen him lately but i remember the last time i did see him it was like uh it was scary honestly <laughs> it's like whoa that's carrot top uh, but yeah, I'm pulling for him to lay off the steroids and the fake tanning and like for him and Polly Shore to do a comeback uh, team up, buddy. That would be great. Um, George Vaskovec, Juror 11. Um, the only thing I knew him from was Somewhere in Time, which is another movie I would love to discuss at some point. It was a Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour movie about time travel. Uh, and it was a romance. And um, it's one of those movies that dedicated fans like still make pilgrimage to where this thing was shot at the hotel. So uh, for some people, that's a desert island film. I don't remember him in it, but I'm sure I would uh, uh, recognize him if I watched it again. Um, Robert Weber, Juror 12, was in uh, some older films. Uh, big, big pictures. Uh, Midway, Dirty Dozen, uh, Pink Panther. Um, Juror 9, Joseph Sweeney. This, that's the older fellow. He was born in 84, 1884. Um, he did a bunch of TV after this. This was his final film role, uh, but he did a ton of TV uh, until he died in 1963. So um, I did see him in, uh, I don't know if you guys have even heard of this. It's so old. Car 54, Where Are You? Uh, it was a TV show I watched on Nick at Night when Nick at Night was a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so that covers the ones we didn't cover before but uh the big standout i think is uh, ed begley um he was a, an amazing jerk and um i'd be if i ever met his son i would be like your dad terrified me <laughs> yeah right. and i hope that wasn't method acting um i'd be interested to know what he was like in real life because it, we tend to when an actor is so good at portraying a role we tend to think that that's just really how they are and mm -hmm. so it'd be interesting to have lunch with Ed Begley back in the day and see what he was like. Hopefully it would be charming and not scary. Um, with good actors, sometimes you, you know, like uh, Biff Tannen, right? The guy who played Tom something or other. He's like the most lighthearted, joking, sing-songy dude you've ever seen, if you've ever seen a video of him. Nothing like Biff, nothing like him. Uh, but he played him so well, right? So hopefully that was the case there. Uh, anything else you guys want to add before we uh, wrap it up and take a commercial break? Yeah, I don't think so. If we if we open up any other topic, this thing's the sucker's going to go to like three and a half hours. Uh, um, <laughs> it's going to be like an actual play podcast at that point. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Well, it's always good when the discussion of the movie goes longer than the movie. This movie right. was so yeah. short. It's so it's so yeah. short and it's so packed jam-packed full of just good shit wall to wall just all yeah, gas no brakes yeah. yeah you guys couldn't see it yet from your end i don't no killer, think no filler they they said it was like <laughs> yeah no seriously it was a it was you have to hand it to someone that can write a movie that runs at the almost the minimum runtime for a feature film and have that kind of impact and the poster said let me go to the poster frame again yeah, what it was like ninety-seven minutes or something, right? Yeah, it was just yeah. right over, right over the a lot of time. The poster says, "Life is in their hands, death is on their minds." Uh, this was pretty good, especially this looks like a fifty-seven poster. It explodes like twelve sticks of dynamite. I like that. I know. <laughs> twelve sticks of dynamite. 
pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah, so while we tally up our grades, we have time for... And now a word from our sponsors. On a jury and some smart guy do-gooder keeps talking nonsense about how the defendant might be innocent, even though you know he's got to fry, well, before you bellow out another diatribe concerning those people, remember, that's just what he wants you to do. So more of those Marys will flip sides on you. Why someone ought to make a man out of them or break him in two trying. Hey, eat a Smirker's bar. Why? Because when you sit in a jury room with no air conditioning, there's a ball game at eight, and there's always one guy who's got to slow up the verdict. You turn into Ed Begley from 12 Angry Men. Not the remake smart guy, the one from 57. Better? Better. Don't get hangry. Have a Smirker's. Side effects include <laughs> profuse sweating, excitability, stack blowing, referring to solid reasoning as mumbo jumbo, and revealing the ugliness inside of you that's hidden beneath a thin veneer until some bleeding heart baits you in an argument. You're not you when you're hangry. Smirkers satisfies. Excellent. So good. <laughs> Could you, you left out one side effect, though, which is high-waisted pants. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have them. <laughs> gotta have them that's right <laughs> side effect of aging i think maybe it was a generational thing i don't know yeah but uh it is now time to submit our grade so we've come to the segment in our show where we submit the grades we assign a final grade to the movie and calculate the GPA based on those grades. Um, like the uh, sound clip that I just used, I give this movie an A plus plus plus. Um, and I suspect a lot of you might uh, agree with me on that one, but let's find oh, out. Oh man, I sure hope so. Uh, right. I'm looking at you, Devin. <laughs> Who submitted it? <laughs> He's going to give it an <laughs> F minus. Uh, Bags his own movie. This is just so he can give another F out. <laughs> look at the yeah. Look at the nonsense he's submitted in the past. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Cat, where are you landing on this one? Um. So I just want to preface this that the only uh -oh, uh -oh. oh here we go <laughs> here it comes I, I it's an older movie so I have a hard time like knowing how to criticize this movie because of the fact what like I know how to criticize movies that are more modern like it. So just because it's because it's older, I I'm whole, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just don't know what standards I, I'm supposed to kind of hold it to. But um, it, I definitely think it was a good movie. I definitely like that um, it was very provocative, and it is the type of movie that I I definitely enjoy, and it's something that if it was done in, in a more modern kind of way, I would have. I would definitely give it an A, but because it's older and there's kind of, you know, uh, things about it that just doesn't really hold up for me, I would, I, I need to give it a B plus. So that's where I stand with it. Okay. Well, the show's running so long, I'm not going to make you defend that point. But <laughs> 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 I'll put that in my pocket. Okay, Devin, where'd you land on uh, 12 Angry Men? 
Um, yeah, you know, silly me. I thought that this movie is so good and so classic that we would have nothing to talk about because it, it's just like it's just so perfect. But uh, you know, uh, the opposite was true. We got into a, a very great discussion here. Um, and I think for that discussion and for the quality of this movie overall, it's a it's an A. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't get to give A pluses. OK, so a. I, I do agree with I do agree with Kat's point, though, that that we kind of have to hold this film to like all the modern films we've seen standard because we don't we haven't seen other black and white films. I think by the last black and white film in this season, maybe we'll have more of like a standard for what these older movies are like and it might form better. But, you know, I no, get that's, a reason. that's worth saying. But I'll also say that it's your grade. And you can be subjective, but you I would also appreciate it if you backed it up with a little something, something, uh, some kind of reason. Um, yeah, but I think that's a fair point um, to we're watching these as a series. Right. And so, yeah, there's going to be comparisons made. And that's fair. Uh, James Pepe, where'd you land on 12 Angry Men? I give this 12 Angry A's. Yeah. Totally yeah. angry. Diatribe. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else you can say about this. Uh, this movie. Mm-hmm. I was hoping this was going to be our first 4.0 movie, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, couldn't give, I couldn't give Devin that. I couldn't give yeah. Devin that. No changing now. Oh, okay. There we go. Now it comes out. It was personal. <laughs> I see. You know, I never thought about it in that way. Okay. <laughs> well, well, angry. <laughs> Oh my god! Now you're the standout uh, juror, going to convince us to change yeah. our grades. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is like going to be the lowest GPA ever. Now, uh, no, um, I just changed the I whole love bit. it. Exactly. Well done. So, uh, Jim, Jim Scott, gentleman, Jim Scott, you get the final word on um, Twelve Angry Men. I would, I would give it a solid A. Um, yeah emotionally charged the dialogue was great the characterizations were great the movie explored a social problem back in a time it was quaint and didn't want to talk about that problem so it used the devices that it could and it used them very very well to talk about those things so that's a solid a and great conversation and we could watch this movie in a year and have another great conversation yeah yeah, I mean, I could watch it tonight and talk about it more tomorrow. I mean, it's yeah. just one of those. Yep. So um, where does that leave us with the overall GPA? That puts us at our first A on the board, A minus, however, because of that, mm-hmm. um, 3.86, another 8.6, another 0.86, our third 0.86 in a row. I don't know what I don't know what statistically makes the 0.86, but we've had three that ended with 0.86. Um, but yeah. Solid A minus, mm. just shy of an A. Sounds like a math That's thing a that I would know list. nothing about. It is. That's it is. a dean list, baby. Um, don't know if it'll get to get into Stanford or whatever, but uh, we'll see. Maybe some <laughs> yeah, of the extracurricular right. activities will will count for something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, that was twelve Angry Men, and now it's time to roll for the next episode. So we need to roll a foresighty. Um, I think it's Kat's turn, but I'm assuming she does not have a four-sided die handy, so um, I, I, have it, I, have, I have random.org pulled up okay. like I normally do when we're playing the game, so I'll just uh, I'll, I'll roll it real quick. Well, so that's fine with I you, mean, Kat. If you have... She could pull it over now. Do it. Yeah. Look, she's a strong, independent woman. She can roll it. Oh, okay, well, I just sit here and wait for her to go to random.org. And... No, you, no, you can do it. I'm not a strong, independent woman right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'll wait for Cat and just put her on the side. No, a man fine. rolling her dice. But wait for me. There we go. Okay, you ready for your drum roll then? <laughs> three. Number three. Next week. We'll be watching a little movie called Nebraska 2013, which is currently streaming on apparently two platforms, Canopy, which we've had several times now, and Pluto, which we've had a couple of times. Hmm. So Nebraska came out in 2013, a black and white film. Love Pluto TV. Yeah, me too. They are owned by CBS, I found out. And uh, they do about a billion dollars a year in advertising now, so they're not going anywhere. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. It's crazy. Wow. I grew up, yeah. sprang up out of nowhere. Yeah, sure did. Streaming wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that one is like a le- out of left field. No one saw that yeah. one. Yeah. So, uh, so anyone- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say something about the streaming wars. I was going to say, I didn't notice how quickly shows are changing streaming platforms now. It seems like every month there's like whole shows just moving from platform to platform. It's, it's wild. Uh, like they just added Avatar, The Last Airbender to Netflix, and they're already removing it and moving it somewhere else. I don't even know where. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's bizarre. That podcast business wars that I brought up before, they do talk about the streaming wars a little bit. And um, it makes me wonder what's going on behind the curtain what have you with that because that is odd yeah. and i have noticed that too i'm sure it'll come out at some point if like i'm sure people do know about it too but yeah that is weird i've noticed that it's like what is this doing on this one it came out on disney or whatever and now it's over here and so they're doing there's some wheeling and dealing or something happening there but i predict that all these there's so many streaming platforms now they'll start gobbling each other up in fact two of them are merging uh and i can't remember who it is I know one of them's Discovery Plus, and I think it's going to merge with one of the other big ones, either HBO or Paramount. I can't remember. So it's already happening, uh, and good yeah. because we shouldn't have to pay for like ten of these damn things. Um, show announcements. I don't have any. I'm very happy to be doing series three, black and white. Um, fan emails. You can write to Ben at RedHenMedia.com, and we may respond on the show. Um, so. That about wraps things up. Oh, who would dare ring my doorbell at 10.48 p.m.? This, it's, at this it's hour. It's 10.48. I know. Jeez. Only one man would dare. Just one He's more thing. He's letting himself in. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. He's, we have, we're that close now. <laughs> You're so familiar. <laughs> Lieutenant Columbo says we have time for just one more thing, where each co-host shares a Twitter-length post of something they want to mention from outside the show. I'll be super quick here because I know we're running late. Um, I picked up on Devin's suggestion last time uh, and listened to all the episodes that are currently released of, what is it, The Outlanders? I I don't want to get the title wrong, but I've been listening to it all week. The Wastelanders. The Wastelanders, yeah. It's that Marvel podcast, radio play, really great production value, awesome story. Definitely check it out. They just released episode eight, uh, I think yesterday or something so uh just bingeable fun stuff there um so yeah awesome. wastelanders so great thanks for that recommendation i will further that and second you on that cat what have you got for this this week on just one more thing 
I just one more thing is um, to watch uh, both seasons, but currently season two is right now streaming for a show called Dave um, that you can stream on Hulu. It is about a Jewish white rapper called Little Dicky, um, and he is very funny but very insightful. And even though it is a, it is definitely a funny show, it's also very deep and very ori original too. Um, and it has some some very serious shows to uh, episodes as well. So definitely check cool. it out if you want something that's very fresh and and new and and different. Excellent, I definitely will. Thank you for that, Devin. What uh, what have you got for us this week on just one more thing? Uh, so I have this nerd ass thing as usual. Um, uh, there is a podcast. <laughs> I don't actually remember if I've mentioned this before. I think no, I have. It was like two weeks ago. The Adventure Zone, the fifth edition D and D podcast. Very funny. Very good. Um, great for people who do not like D&D at all. It's it, the D&D part is totally like secondary to the humor and the the, the family values of that show. Okay. Um, but their original run, their original game, which they did, you know, now like 10 years ago, almost um, has been made into graphic novels. Uh, they're going arc by arc and they've just released. I believe this is the fourth arc Crystal Kingdoms um, as a graphic novel. Well, that's and, where it starts uh, to get bad. It just released today. Don't listen to Pepe. All of it's good. Um, and uh, yeah, it's brand new, hot off the presses as we're recording this. And uh, awesome. go pick it up. It's really good. These graphic novels have incredible art, and the story is as good as it was when it was uh, being performed as a podcast. Great. Is that is that ink even dry yet, Devin? It's still warm, I swear. <laughs> yeah. Brand spanking new. And also, your comment is why we call you the incendiary James Pepe. So what do you got for us this week? <laughs> exactly. Um... Okay, so uh, two things. First, I, I know I'm a little late to this because it's been out for a while, but I've been playing a game called Blasphemous. I'm really enjoying it. It's a 2D Souls-like platformer. And if you have a sort of like Catholic background like I do, you might I enjoy do. it a little in a little bit of an extra way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fun to um, revolt against your childhood like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Um, but for realsies, I've been, um, I, I went back recently to a podcast that I had stopped listening to a long time ago because it was in the early days of podcasting when they thought it was okay to put out an episode every two weeks. Um, so I, I listened to like the first two, two or three seasons of it and I just stopped and I was like, I can't wait two weeks to hear the story. Um, but anyway, it's called Tannis. Um, it's a little bit of hard to describe. I was thinking about how one might describe it. I, the phrase that I came across was like small scale cosmic horror. If that makes any sort of sense. Sure. Um, I mean, it does yeah. to me. I wrote a, okay. a sci-fi movie that takes place in a very small location with galactic consequences. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's sort of in that, um, in that, that wheelhouse yeah <laughs> yeah um but it's it's really good um it's held up because it is i think it's it's got to be at least there's five seasons but it's got to be it's definitely more than five years old um at this point but yeah it's still great i've been listening to it i I'm, i don't know if it's still going or not um but you haven't caught it's up been yet so, I haven't caught up, no. So I'm still re-listening to things that I've already listened to but years see. ago. Okay, so you're rehashing. How do you spell yeah, it? Yeah, I mean... Tannis. 
T-A-N-I-S. Okay, like the character from Dragonland. Yes. <laughs> if I'm remembering that correctly. Okay. Oh, and uh, uh-oh, we've lost Jim's, Jim's going to it. listen to this. Yeah. He's going to listen to this podcast right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sounded too good to him. Yeah. Like Tannis actually, Jim, Jim would really like it, actually. Is that? Yeah. That so- sounded good. Sorry, guys. I had to um, leave and then come back. That's okay. But uh, yeah, that sounded like a really good podcast. Yeah, Jim, you should listen to a couple episodes and tell me what you think. I think you probably really like it. And it's called Tannis? And, uh, yeah, Tannis. T-A-N-I-S. Okay. I'll remember that because that Tannis Havelvin is one of the heroes of the Dragonlance saga. So. Oh, that's what Ben said. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> Boom. So, yeah, you come back and tell me if I should listen to it then. <laughs> sure. All Definitely. right. We'll get a consensus. And then I'll come back and tell uh, everyone else. And that's how we'll spread it. Like uh, That's how we'll bandwagon it. That's right. We'll we'll get everyone on board eventually. Cool. And what have you got for us this week, Jim? Um, unfortunately, I don't have anything newsworthy. I've just been kind of mm-hmm. resting and reposing. Yeah. But yeah. I, uh, speaking of bandwagon and telling the news about other people's just one more things. I did catch half of Bo Burnham inside. Oh, that okay. is so hilarious. I even, um, uh, the skit that I had seen, is it heaven or, or, or a white woman's Instagram? I had to show that to other people. That was just hilarious. It was hilarious. And I guess I just, I, I do have kind of a, a, just one more thing in the sense of, wisecrack which does really it's a podcast on youtube i don't know if they're on other platforms they do very interesting exposés on current culture and they just released a video exploring bo burnham's inside so i haven't seen it yet because i want to catch all of the skits uh for that comedy special but yeah that as soon as i do i will definitely yeah, check it out and see what they have to say about it. Well, thanks for the reminder on that one. Um, I, I had meant to queue that up and it kind of got lost in the shuffle. So I'll definitely check that out. That one's yeah, on Netflix, it's a, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a good time. It's a good time. I looked him up. I did sure. look him up and uh, I did recognize him once I saw him from YouTube, etc. Um, So, I mean, yeah, you, okay, cool. I may not think it's a good time. Oh, when once you're done with it. So just just wait on on that. On that part. Okay. He drops okay. the other boot. Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. That. Well, now I, now I have to know what the yeah. secret is. Yeah. Well, laughing is not the only reaction it elicits. Well, I, I okay. got like a little bit of that in some of the skits. Like it wasn't funny, even though it was funny, you know? So. Interesting. I definitely watched okay. it. Definitely I, think you'd like it. it. I think you'd like it, Ben. Yeah. Uh, and it, what what is it called again? Bo Burnham's Inside. Inside. Mm-hmm. Inside. Okay. And it just came out this year or last year? Like a two weeks ago. Like a month ago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. So you guys were watching it fresh out off the the, uh, production line or whatever, right? Yeah. He's been making it for the last year, though, so it takes place over. Oh, that's right. It was a more COVID art, right? Mm -hmm. He was doing it because of the situation. Interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it. Um, He's really creative. So Cool, cool. All right. Good, Good recommendation all around then. Okay, gang. I think I'll miss you most of all. 
I'm not crying, you're crying. Dorothy's letting us know that it's time to say goodbye. And let's start with Kat. I'm Catherine Ramirez. It's been real. Catch me on Instagram at Kat Ramirez with two Z's. See y'all next time. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Devin Schwartz. I'm Devin Schwartz. You can find me at Devin Schwartz one on Twitter and game over, man. Game over. Indeed. Is the game really ever over? As long as you have quarters. Uh, <laughs> insert nine seconds. Eight, seven. Uh, James Pepe. Hey, I've been James Pepe, and uh, hope to see you guys next week for uh, Nebraska. Yeah, looking forward to that. And um, gentlemen, Jim Scott. Yeah, I'm Jim Scott, and uh, farewell, friends, and take care. Indeed. And this has been I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. And now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross those T's, sign here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. And remember to watch Nebraska 2013 now streaming on Canopy and Pluto for next week's show. Until next time, lookers, keep on looking. Uh.